let's do it. Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Latenya? <laughs> it's it's dark. That's, that's dark. dark I'm sorry. That's, that's dark. dark. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I am uh, I'm excited to be here. It is an exciting thing, isn't it? It's um, I'm actually kind of like a little nervous, a little excited because we are talking about one of the most hmm, polarizing, controversial directors of our time today. Yep. The, in our opinion, the great Gaspar Noé, who has been making feature films since 1998. He's gonna. His new feature, Vortex, is going to be coming out in a matter of days or weeks, depending on exactly when this episode is released. We're so excited for that. So this episode is being recorded pre-Vortex, which is okay, because we're just in a Gaspar and away mood, and we're ready to get into it. But we have five films to go over here in total, five features. And we're going to go over them in detail. But when we're talking about Gaspar and away, there's a different, there are other subjects we have to get through first, such as... Perhaps someone saw the title of this podcast and they go, why are these two lunatics talking about Gaspar in a way? Because so let's just start there. How are you feeling about, you know, Gaspar? And, you know, let's start at that place of why are we doing this? Well, one, I'm not afraid. I'm, I, not afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to start there because I think that's also a very important way to actually introduce this director. Mm -hmm. I feel like the, you have to approach a Gaspar Noé movie without fear. Yes. You have to accept that what you are about to go into is going to be unlike anything that you're used to. Very extreme. Yep. Very uh, real to one degree or another. But you, you know, we, we, I, I kind of had this notion that in order to fully appreciate a Gaspar Noé movie, you have to accept before you start I'm watching a Gaspar Noé movie. Yes. I'm going to watch something that no one else does. And I mean, I, I'm kind of cutting you off, but I, it's really important to get this out of the way early that like no movie really, but certainly no Gaspar Noé movie is for everyone. Not no. at all. I mean, maybe we're going to talk about some movies today that are maybe for like 20% of the movie going population. If that people who give it a chance. But what we are saying is we're not saying like, you got to watch these movies. You got to study them. You got to appreciate them. What we're saying is this is a director who approaches his art in a very singular way. And I don't think you are wrong for avoiding this filmography yep. altogether, for watching one and being detested or repulsed by it. So not checking any of the others out. All we're trying to do with this episode is say, if you do meet Gaspar in a way on his own terms, what of it? What can you explore? What can you find? All five of these movies, despite their very intense content, are impeccably made. Yes. They are, I, I'm talking technically, sound, editing, cinematography. It's all on point, and he's carrying us. And if you become a fan of his and you uh, appreciate or understand what he's saying or trying to say, then you can be welcomed into a very obscure world of just, it's just different. That's all. We're just... Gaspar Noé is a different register of directors that we don't recommend wholeheartedly to everyone. Of course not. But there is value to find in these films if you are willing to explore them. And that's a tough thing to make the choice to be like, I'm going to go in to yeah. any of these five movies. Any of them. Yeah. Yeah. And you also, everything he does is purposeful. Yes. Like everything yes. that you're about to see in any of his movies has been carefully curated as sick and twisted as it may I be. I was just going to say, even if it is perverse intentionally, yes. and you're, you know, yes, he's doing 
everything has intent and great and and a great amount of thought goes and into it. It's not shock value. No, he is absolutely it, not. It is absolutely it is not. not. And then you may hear that and if you know have seen some Gaspar or seen all of Gaspar, and maybe you kind of counter with that, but there's only honestly like a few moments in a Gaspar movie that I feel like, okay, this might be considered gratuitous. Mm-hmm. But even when he's doing that, then that's his point. That is the point. That is the point. That is he the is point. going to be like, yep, right here, I'm going to give you a very gratuitous thing yeah. for his reasoning. But when you're talking about some of the other more important content of his movies that we're all going to get into, I think it's just important to know that where he's coming from is not from a place of anything unhealthy correct it's really coming from a place that he has a point that he is trying to make and yes you are going to sit through some things that are going to be very uncomfortable but if you trust him it's a very this is i think why we're talking about Mm -hmm. him is because Mm -hmm. this is a director where you really have to give yourself to and just trust that yes he is going to take care of you and when you come out of it, you are going to have a new perspective on the art that he has just shown you. Again, not for everybody, but we also don't really have a director operating right now no. who's working on this level no. of this quality. Correct. And yes, we are using those words. I, I keep thinking about all the people that do not like him, mm-hmm. and 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 that's totally fair. But... We're meeting Gaspar, like you said, on his level. Meet us at this level, and we are going to take care of you through this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do our best because, you know, the, as a way of like we're kind of getting into it here, there are a few movies we're going to talk about, uh, his second film in particular, that we like, there's no way to discuss Irreversible without giving away the end or sl- yeah, the end yeah. slash beginning and then the beginning slash end because... That talking about intention, like that's a very, very difficult movie to value or appreciate or even fucking watch. Like, I understand. We get it. Trust me. None of these movies I'm necessarily like going back and putting on all the time. Well, actually, that's not true. Some of them I do put on all the time. I'm like, yeah, totally full of shit. Like, I watch some of these often. But that's so that's where we are coming from. We are admirers of all of these films. Yeah. And we find the value in them while not like my wife. I, Sometimes she likes to watch some of the stuff that I'm researching for the podcast. And I told her this and I'm like, yeah, no, there's just none. None of these five I can show you. Like, you're, I know your taste and you're not going to like it. And that's totally OK. Like, I get it. This just isn't for you. He's not for a lot of people. But I don't know if you're a fan of movies or you're, you are a fan of cinema of a different kind that to your point, you're not seeing anywhere else right now. Not on this level like mainstream in theaters. Here he is. And we have been, this has been an episode that we have been thinking about since day one of doing this podcast, and we knew that this was going to take a little bit to get here. Yeah. But thanks to you mad movie buffs that have followed us along the way, like, we actually feel like this is the time. Like, like we, we have wanted to share our views about Gaspar and his work, and we feel like now we've got a time where the audiences will appreciate and what we're about to say. And then even if you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. like... I, we're just trying to stir curiosity. If you haven't yep. seen it, like, oh, man, like, just know when you put on one of these movies, like, you're getting into something different, something with all of them. You're getting into something way different. But, you know, if we're stirring curiosity and someone wants to check them out, then by all means, I mean, we're going to love to hear what people have to say to this. Don't be mad at us. Like, you know, yeah, don't, yeah. quote, unquote, don't, don't at us about, like, fuck you guys for telling us 
I'm not like, hey, everyone listening to this, like, what are you watching? Irreversible boom. Go watch it now or fuck you. I'm never no, gonna say no, that. No, Come no, on. Not at all. Come on. And I, I think people know that. Like, that's it, not what this is at all. You know, there's a something I heard, I, I believe it was Bill Hader that said this on on the Criterion channel, because he's mm-hmm. a very, very big cinephile. Yeah. You know, and or if he didn't say it himself, he was quoting someone that told him this, where he's like, you know what? Go watch a fucked up movie. It'll do you good. It will. And that's that's what this is. I don't, maybe there is someone alive who just wants to watch the type of movies Gaspar makes. That's not us. Yeah, we like yeah, yeah, all yeah. sorts of movies. I like to take these like in small doses. I do watch the, one of these five films. Like I do watch him a lot. Not necessarily like the whole movie. I mean, there are some sequences because, they're, you know, it's really tough to take. But again, there's value in all of them. And that's all, that's just all we're trying to do here. We're trying to meet him on his level and talk to the listeners about why we like this work, why I do think a director like him is necessary and important. I do not want to see the same types of movies all the time. I don't. There are very few directors nowadays when I sit down in the theater, when you sit there and you go, I have no fucking clue what's about to happen. None. And I'm excited about it. I'm not like, what is this movie going to be? I have no idea. That just doesn't really exist that much. You can be excited for, you know, one of your favorite directors to release a movie, but the excitement anxiousness i am to see vortex doesn't i haven't felt this in like a while Mm -hmm. and i love all sorts of directors but gaspar's first feature was released in 1998 you know and he's only done five since so i'm very excited and that's all that's all we're trying to do that's it so that being said warning you have 30 (laughs) seconds to press stop on this podcast before before what you're about to hear you're an asshole <laughs> there's like not many people gonna get that but uh we'll get to it so all right that's my way of introducing our first film ready i've been ready here we go 1998's i stand alone oh my oh my um oh boy so this is a direct sequel to noe's i'm gonna call him gaspar actually like yeah call to him gaspar's gaspar. short film carne which was released in 1991 and basically, in like the first uh, five minutes of I Stand Alone, you're given a very quick sort of biography of this butcher's life from birth to present day. And it's a lot of terrible shit and how his life is sucked and did this and he killed the wrong man by mistake, a uh, theme that we're going to see again in Gaspar's work. He had to go to prison and then his daughter is mute. And it's, it's all this crazy stuff. I don't want to set it up too much, but he's this man in great isolation. So in the beginning of I Stand Alone, those first five minutes, that's all in carne, pretty mm-hmm. much like all of it. And that is a, it's a tough short film. Um, I Stand Alone is a movie about, it's about morality. It's about justice. That's what Gaspar tells us in the beginning. It's really about a butcher. That's all we know him as. He's a butcher living in France. And he's, when the movie begins, you know, he's, he's with his new wife who he clearly detests. And they live with his, with the mother-in-law, the wife's, you know, mom, who he also clearly detests. And his life just isn't going that well. They don't have a lot of money. He can't get any work. And then if you're like, I saw I Stand Alone after other Gaspar movies. It's the hardest to find. It's never on like, you can't even rent this on like YouTube, like yeah. a streaming service. It's very hard to find. And it was hard for us to find to watch this. It's not available on DVD or Blu-ray. So that sucks. So that's why I don't want to give like the full ending away to this movie. Okay. 25 minutes in or 30 minutes in, you know, you're in a Gaspar movie yes. because something very, very horrific happens. Very bad. Very terrible. And now the butcher has to flee and leave. And he's leaving his pregnant wife and mother-in-law behind after doing, you know, bad, bad things. Set off on this journey of following this guy around for about another like hour, 10 minutes of the movie. And he's a complete psychopath. Yeah. And he does not talk much in the film, like live on camera. It's all inner monologue. 
that is being fed to us. And it's like stream of consciousness to the point where it sounds like he has like three or four versions of himself talking to himself. If you're like a fan of true crime or just crime movies in general, I have not seen too many films where a like psychopath commits a horrible act but then we're following him for another hour and his inner monologue is justifying that horrible act. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, that's how they think. That's how they are rationalizing this god-awful behavior they've done. And like 10 minutes later, he's almost painting himself out to be the victim. Like that's something he had to do to get away. And that's, I mean, we're going to keep going, but that's just a place to start. That's how, you know, that's the first 30 minutes in the movie and it is, we're off on a hell of a ride. Oh boy. I've watched this for the first time yesterday, Yesterday, which was great for me to watch you watching it. And I knew that 30 minute mark was coming up and your, I mean, your face and your, you were just like, oh, oh my God. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. But man, I, I loved it. I, I, I had such a good time with it in, in the way that like, I mean, as much as you can have a good time. Well, yeah. Which I, I, I mean, I do think like that there is space for it because I found myself laughing at quite a bit of this movie, and it was all really due to the dialogue. He wants you to. Gaspar wants yes. you to laugh at certain things. Yes, at the absurdity of it and yep. the, like the the going too farness of it. Like, yep. Jesus Christ, dude, you, that's how you still think. And yeah, you're, like at this inner monologue, you're just like your jaws dropped. Like, oh, my God, you have to laugh at how crazy it is. You have to. And, you know, and what I really have thought about it was like, because you're right, because so much of the movie, it, he's not speaking. So... You're reading the subtitles yeah. very quickly. You're almost reading this movie as opposed to watching yeah, it. Yeah, there's I've, a lot to read. Yeah. I found myself like basically being so wrapped up in reading the dialogue that my eyes would just glance up to see what the visuals were. And I mean, you're never taken too much away. It's yeah. not that heavy. But at the same time, it still is a very, very heavy reading situation. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about halfway through... And I was like, I don't think I would want to experience this movie any other way. Right. I really love the separation between reading Mm -hmm. and then seeing and really kind of going on that ride. And and yeah, the the dialogue would go so far that I would just start laughing because I'm like, Jesus, my God, man. He's saying like the most horrific shit about like pretty much any topic that comes into his brain, but definitely about his wife who he's just, you know, brutalized and then fled. And again, like the rationalizing of the behavior. Yeah, you just watch it and you're like, okay, no normal human being thinks like this. So us like, quote unquote, normal folk, we have to like, I don't know, laugh this off and be like, holy shit, this dude is nuts. But we're not like, oh, there he is. There's the butcher. He's so funny. You're laughing at the horror. Like, And I think think it's almost like that's the separation. Yeah. Like the thing that this movie achieves very well is like through its brutality and through its uh, main character that is... I, I would venture to guess maybe the most detestable character I've ever seen on a screen. It, it's like main character. Main in movie. character. Yeah, in right, movie. right. Yeah, close, close. I mean, it's very, there, there's nothing good about him. But because it's so heavy in that direction, mm-hmm. when there is a moment that your mind can kind of just like, not snap it just basically all of a sudden just goes okay we've reached a point where we have no choice yeah but to just distance yeah exactly and exactly but when that happens it's actually a pleasant experience mm-hmm. watching the movie right and right. um and one of the things that i thought of was i was like you know there there is uh i'm such a big charles bukowski fan mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. 
this is basically Charles Bukowski without a heart. <laughs> like, that's, sure, yeah, that's no heart found anywhere. Basically, who this guy is, and I really like that. And I actually had to com- like commend the writing. Mm-hmm. The writing mm-hmm. is as awful and as detestable as it is. It's really well done. There is a poetry to it. I there mean, he's is. saying he's saying lines. He's just walking around and he's like, "People are like animals. You love them, you bury them, and then it's over." And that's just like one line of dialogue. But that's how he views life. Like yeah. he just doesn't care. He's not attached to anything. It's all how can he like get away or better himself or fill his needs, however horrible and carnal they may be. Yeah, right. It's funny, like watching this, like irreversible is about one truly horrific thing that happened to an innocent person and the subsequent horrible thing that happens as a result of that. I Stand Alone is almost like, it's almost like an origin story for Latenya from Irreversible. Like, I, I know the ages don't match up, but when I, like, one of Gaspar's favorite movies is Taxi Driver. So imagine that, like, Travis Bickle, after the whole movie goes it ends and he doesn't get on a better path and he, and he just gets worse. Whether he's a taxi driver or a butcher, you know, you meet Travis Bickle young, but imagine him just getting worse. And now he's 60. That's kind of how like this butcher plays to me. I, it's, I don't know. It's so fascinating. Again, just to stick with one complete fucking psychopath the yeah. whole time and give an insight into his head. Oh my God. Well, that's the thing. It's like nothing is ever one thing. Yeah. yeah. So there there becomes that moment that, and then I think this is really dramatically what I love is like when something becomes so heavy that there is no choice but to find a humor in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this movie challenges you to do. Right. And if you're along for the ride, you'll find it. Like You'll, you'll find it you'll in find the it. absurdity of like, oh my God. Like, okay, okay, and, man. And you know that it's done so intentionally because of how well it's shot. Yeah. Well, so that's what I was going to get to yeah. next. Because I kind of started the podcast by saying that these are so technically proficient. And they are. So this movie... Almost like the entire movie, with the exception of a few scenes, the brutal scenes, which are handheld, the movie is comprised of almost entirely still shots. Yep. It's just still frames where the camera does not move. But then when you least expect it, it will push in yeah. on a character. And when it does this, it's like they walked the camera kind of slowly up to the actor. And then in editing, they sped that up maybe times 20. So you like rush the character. And then he adds a gunshot sound effect. So you're seeing this just constantly in the yep. movie, boom, boom, but you're pushing in. But I remember like this, uh, probably the second time I watched this, I was paying, was like watching really carefully. And I went, why? This is such disturbing content, but why do I feel like, okay? And then I went, oh, this is because it's so well made. He's doing things and he's just letting his camera be still and you watch in horror and then using it like going handheld or, you know, it ends with a great crane shot that is kind of similar of irreversible. So then he knows when to break those rules and like not just make it still. And that's really, I mean, it's just very effective. He also has that thing when he'll like cut to black and do that one music note. Like, oh, oh and you're like, oh, yeah. my God, it just it sets this tone. And he starts that from minute one. It sets this tone in this pace of like, holy shit, what am I getting myself into? But but he was a director who had made short films. They were successful. This is his first feature film. And while it does deal with some very difficult subject material, it is impeccably well made. And it is just in terms of craft, one of the best first films I've ever seen. You don't watch this and go like, oh, that's a li- yeah, that's a little unpolished. You can see like the first film thing on mm-hmm. it. No, this is like someone who's ready and ready to go. And it just, it's so proficient. But that's why he has to do this because we, 
I've seen so many fucking movies that are grotesque, gross. Think like Wes Craven's Last House on the Left, his first movie, Rape Revenge movie. Very difficult film to watch. It's also not like that well made. Like, I, you know, he was a young director. The sound isn't perfect. Cinematography isn't perfect. The acting is kind of spotty. I get it. That's not what Gaspar in a way is doing. He's yeah. giving you grotesque shit, but getting all top tier people to help him make it. It's, it's really wild. He's the only person I can think of that does that. And like me being such a fan of colors in movies, mm-hmm. um, he uses a yellow that, that at least uh, like came out to me throughout the m- majority of this movie yeah. that similar to my, my um, view on uh, Cries and Whispers, mm-hmm. like that red that, that red? I hate, Oof. there's a yellow he uses in this that's just so ugly. Yeah. But it's so great. It like it, it's Gaspar is so good at knowing so well what he wants to do to make you feel ugly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, when you listen to an interview by this guy, like, he's such a pleasant, joyful, that's and the fun guy. That's the thing, yes. And that's why he knows what he's doing. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to show you all of the ugly shit. Yeah. But it's coming from a very, very mature and very, very um, well-placed, like we said at the beginning, healthy place way of being like i want to make something fucked up Mm -hmm. and i'm going to make it really really well and i'm going to have a point to say about it so i want you and listeners to hold on to that point because that is particularly important for the next movie but just to we can't finish i stand alone without talking about these last 20 minutes which so how do i how do i set this up the butcher is he's run out of he's exhausted all of his resources in life so he decides to go retrieve his daughter who is now an adult but not like that old he's decided to retrieve her from like I guess she's in a quasi like mental institution. She's mute. She doesn't speak. And he picks her up and they go to a hotel. One of um, Gaspar's favorite directors is Jean-Luc Godard. One of his favorite movies is Breathless. So this is like his ode to Breathless where he's ending his movie <laughs> and for like 25 minutes in a hotel. What transpires in this hotel is something of great horror and shock and something that I can't like recommend like, yeah, go check this out, folks. But before it begins, as my co-host here teased, he flashes on screen, Gaspar, it cuts to black, and he puts up this huge, massive title card that says, you have 30 seconds to leave the theater. Like, <laughs> be warned. Yeah. What you're about to see is going to be awful. And this movie premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 1998. So this audience is sitting there like, huh? And he has a countdown. It's a 30-second countdown. Then in the last five seconds, it's this huge, this huge danger sign that just blinks red, danger danger and then we and then he cuts to his last 25 minutes and it's so every time i'm watching a gaspar movie every single time even though i've seen all five of these every time at least like four or five times in the movie i kind of close my eyes put my head down and go oh gaspar oh (laughs) man you had to do it like oh god and this is that this is very difficult to watch i'm not i don't really want to reveal what it is just know you're stepping into you're stepping into a version of hell that is difficult but Again, like a lot of his movies, it ends very still. It gives you like five, four or five minutes, just that crane shot, like staring outside to contemplate what you've watched, contemplate where it's going to go in terms of the characters and be like, okay, I just, um, you know, just watched a fucking movie. Like, wow, that was, that was something. But again, Gaspar, very, very playful with this stuff. So this is like a serious movie, but that, that is a playful, like, fuck you thing to do to put that on the yeah, screen. Yeah, it's super playful. Yeah, and he got that from William Castle, who made a movie called Homicidal in 1961. It's like a cheesy psycho ripoff. And in like the last five minutes of that movie, he puts a stopwatch on the screen. It's like, you have 30 seconds, you know, 
to leave. So he's Gaspar is also someone who loves movies. He's yeah. a huge cinephile. So I love that he's like taking that and homicidal is like, you know, it's like schlocky. It's not dead serious. And I just love that he's taking it from that and being like, yeah, I'm going to do that now. What of it? <laughs> and, and, you know, and, <laughs> and he's not wrong. If you know, if you want to consider leaving, feel free to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, it's permission because you've already watched up until this point. If you haven't left the theater, but you were thinking about it. Like, he's giving you the chance to do it now. <laughs> but I remember my reaction watching it. I go, oh, man. Okay, here we go. Here we I, go. I mean, I'm not going to leave. I'm, I'm here for it. But what, what are you going to do here, Gaspar? Mm. And that is a fun experience for an audience member to have. You know, most people seeing that probably hadn't seen Homicidal and probably hadn't had context for that. So when I saw it, I hadn't seen Homicidal. When I saw I Stand Alone for the first time, it's the first time I'd ever seen that in a movie. And it again, it is fun. It is playful. You're like, yeah, because that's the reaction. You just kind of put your head down and you're like, oh, and shit, and in a way, into? it's a break because if he doesn't give you that, yeah, then and just go goes straight. right into yeah. it, yeah, that would almost be too much. Yes, like having like this thing of being like, man, I just I'm whatever, whatever I'm watching up until this point is fucking wild, yeah. and all of a sudden this happens, and you're like. What are we gonna do? Man, I still and, got twenty minutes left. Like, oh and, god! And, and but it's I. I thought that was such a brilliant move to make. I I, I think is honestly like my favorite part of the movie was Me too. the fact that that happened. Yeah. And by the time the movie was over and it concluded, I, I remember throughout the rest of the night we were talking and you know and I this movie would just pop in my head. I go, right. man, that was so good. Like that was just that was like it's intense. It's heavy. It's not pleasant. But man, it was really good. Yeah, really good and really well done. It is. It is. Yeah. I stand alone, one movie down. <laughs> Why make a movie like Irreversible? What's the point? What's the intention? Why make a movie that most people who haven't seen it or have at least heard about it probably know there is a brutal and horrific nine minute long rape scene that's all captured in one shot. It is. It's as bad as it sounds. It just is. Every time I watch it, it's, it's, it, it is as bad as it sounds. Why make it? What's the point? Why do people need to see this? Why, why, why do you consider this art? Why, why, why? Fair questions. So in the early 2000s, like 2001, 2002, Gaspar gets, he really wanted to make this movie. He was obsessed with this idea of making a movie about a relationship in which it's not going that well, but the lead actors engage in unsimulated sex. He had wanted to do that forever. So he pitches this idea to two very famous and very good French actors, Monica Bellucci and Vincent Cassell, who were married at the time. And they're like, we love you, man, but we're not doing that. Like, we're, we're not uh, going to have, you know, real sex on film. So they had very, he had very little money and they had very little time to make a movie because he, it wasn't just his money. He's getting it from like other sources. And basically it came down to you have five weeks to make a movie with these two stars and you can't run over because Monica Bellucci is off to film Matrix 2 and 3. So you have five weeks to do this. And you have a four-page script that he develops and almost no money. Four pages. Four pages. He, that's another thing. Like Gaspar is the credited writer on his films, but he does not write dialogue. His dialogue, the voiceover and I Stand Alone is different, but his dialogue, on-camera dialogue, is improvised almost entirely. So here's what we have. We have five weeks to film this thing. We have a four-page script. And he conceives this idea of like, what if we did a revenge movie this genre is often called rape revenge because the rape happens first what if we do a revenge rape we do this like horrific this story about this horrific act but then put it in reverse order so that 
the the rape still is like almost in the dead center of the movie, whether it's reverse or chronological. But because of the way you do it, the horror ends after that brutalization. Now the hell is over and you step into something much, much more pleasant that when the film ends, it's entirely happy and entirely pleasant. So the most important aspect of this movie is the fact that it's told in reverse, because if this goes in order and it ends with that horrific crime against a man using a fire extinguisher, and that's the payoff, and we realize what we realize, I'm going to get into all this, but we realize who they killed, and that's what we're left with. That is one of the most grim movies I've ever seen, and I don't even know if we, we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast, because I don't think I would have a lot of respect for him showing it in that way. Reversing it changes the entire dynamic of the movie, and we're going to get into it, but you know, this is one of the most polarizing movies like of our lifetime, and some people have just heard about it, and they think anyone who watches it is like repulsive and disgusting. Yeah. I get it. That's all I can say. I get it. It is an important film, though. It really is. We're going to get into reasons why. We, I have a, a lot of notes on this, but... I, I watched this movie because of you. Oh, yeah. Um, you, you were like, hey, you want to you <laughs> oh, wanna watch something fucked up, but yep. uh, really good? Yep. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And so, uh, so... That's what it's like to be my friend, folks. Yeah. I apologize. And, and I'll be honest with you, like, the, the, the first 20 minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. I wanted to throw up. Yeah. Uh, but then I realized that there's actually reasons as to why, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is because the camera is doing the most insane upside down, in and around, um, circular. I mean, it, it's the camera has no rules in what it's doing. And the first, yeah, pretty much for the first like 30, 45 minutes, there are no rules. It just revolves. It goes it's, around. Yep. It's in circles. I also want to highlight that while the great, Benoit Deby, this was the first Gaspar movie he shot, and he has shot everything he's done subsequently. He also shot Spring Breakers. He's fucking amazing DP. He is the cinematographer. He, you know, like owns lighting, owns like, this is what lens we'll use. Gaspar, in a way, operates his own camera. So he is always holding the camera. Just want to point that out. Yep. That's all. Yeah. And, and so I remember like when you asked me what I thought about the movie, I was like, I was like, man, the, like the camera was making me so nauseous in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And a little smirk formed on your face. He goes, you want to know something? That's not the camera that made you nauseous. Mm-hmm. And I go, how could that not be the camera that made me nauseous? I mean, it was, and he goes, it's the sound. It is the sound. Yes. And, and uh, you told me that the guy from Daft Punk. There one, yeah, the Thomas, I forget his name, not Behringer, but it's something like that. He did the, all the music for this movie and he's one half of Daft Punk and he has an idea like... To make this scene a little more uneasy, what if I add a low frequency sound that can literally, literally induce nausea with someone who (laughs) hears it and watches it? And this madman is doing this for like a fucking half hour straight. And he actually like brings it back at key moments only for like a few seconds, but you'll hear it later. And it can make you feel like you don't understand like why you're feeling sick and you're like, huh? I've never seen this movie in a theater, but when this premiered at Cannes 2002, one of the most hotly contested con screenings ever multiple walkouts all, all that stuff people were like people were throwing up people were leaving in mass and gaspar was just sitting in the back like fucking loving it like, dude yeah, great, i mean great. you think about it and it, it, it it's that's awesome yeah, like I, <laughs> that, like if you think about it like well, well that's like that's what i'm talking about like yeah gaspar like oh it, it, it's it's this is what i mean like when we're talking about this dude's art is like he is doing things that are going a little bit outside the realm of how we are ever really used to watching movies yeah 
by the time the movie's over, I you, you go through this experience with it, and I was like, I'll never watch this movie again. Mm-hmm. But then, like, again, the next day, all I'm doing is thinking about this right. movie. It's just right. like living in my head, rent-free, as they say these days. <laughs> and and But what I'm thinking about the movie is not the horror that I, I had seen. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about that. Like, yes, it's in my, like, I'm aware of it, but, and when I'm watching it, it's, it's, it's almost as unbearable as it can get. Yeah. But when I think about the movie after the fact, I am not turned off by the movie. I'm actually more drawn in mm-hmm. as I'm thinking about it. I go, man, if that, if they didn't do, like, because they did it this way and like, and how that was like, it's very powerful. It's very you know, poignant in a lot of ways. Like, uh, so these are the things that I'm thinking of. And if I'm thinking about a movie like this, mm-hmm. then I'm like, he's on to something with yeah. this. Like something happened here that is transcending the horror which he showed us. Yes, and that's the point. That's the exercise. It can absolutely spur debate, probably some really intense debate, but why don't I uh, just get this out of the way and talk and explain what the movie's about just real quick. So the film, I guess th- the best way to describe the plot is to do it chronologically. Essentially, the film is about a woman who is horrifically and brutally raped, and the scene takes place, the camera's still, it's on the ground, it's in a tunnel, it's awful, and then the fallout of that, pretty much over the course of like one night. And what I did is I basically just described the first 45 minutes of the movie, because the movie's in reverse. So the movie essentially starts with, actually the movie starts with The Butcher from I Stand Alone, who's just sitting naked in an apartment like in Paris talking with someone else who's actually a famous French director in real life. And they're doing this dialogue that they made up on the spot. Gaspar is basically like, the one line you have to say is time destroys all things. You Mm -hmm. have to like loop that in. I don't want to say what The Butcher says because he says something, he basically reveals what happened after I Stand Alone ended. And you're like, oh my God, okay, buddy. And then we move on after the scene in the apartment, we move on to a, a club and we're in this club. We gather that the club is called the rectum and we gather that this is a very um, hmm, colorful <laughs> gay S&M club where people, gay men are just having sex in mass, like everywhere. This is a real club in Paris. They just, you know, let them come in and film. And it's very, this is where you're talking about like the camera. You're seeing like, is that Vincent Cassell? And he's with his buddy and they're they're asking, there's like going up these, they're going up these stairs in the club. Like, where's Latenia? They're saying this. Where's Latenia? Where's Latenia? But the line mm-hmm. that that Pierre says to yeah. Vincent Cassell's character, mm-hmm. like uh it, it, it do you know it offhand? You gotta give me feed me a little bit of it. The um like you're like, acting like an animal. You're acting like an yeah, animal. Yeah, you're acting like we need to get out of here. You're acting like an animal. That's because he is. They, Vincent Cassell is in a state of complete and utter rage. And because the movie's just started, we have no fucking clue what's going on. He says animals don't even act out of revenge. Okay, yes. And I remember that. Yeah, yep. and that's it. And those are the seeds that those little lines of dialogue. This is the whole point of the movie. Yes. 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 So what happens is they go up and they find their way to this room and they find who they think is this man named, named Latenya. And things get to where they get. and. This man is killed in one of the most brutal movie killings I have ever seen. And this is going to be weird for people to hear, but just hear me out. Gaspar in a way is not a terribly violent director. All of his scenes, all of his movies rather, have violence or most of them do. But all of that violence is very accounted for and it all has repercussions. There's no one like going into, you know, a crowded area and just like shooting everyone and then walking away and being like, oh, no biggie. He's a, a director who takes violence very seriously. 
This is a horrific killing. A man's head is basically, basically, not basically, a man's head is bashed in with a fire extinguisher. And you see the whole thing to the point where, like, you're talking about the technicality and how he's so good. Like, I was watching that going, how the fuck did they do that? Because yeah. you don't cut. You just see it. And it's like a good uh, 10, 11, 12 smashes of that thing. First time viewers might miss this, but directly after that killing, the camera just boom and cuts. To, it pans up to some guy with, like, this weird looking nose and this weird face. And he's smiling. He's a member of the club. He kind of seems to enjoy it. So what we gather as as we're kind of watching the movie, we we quickly realize that, oh, this is like going in reverse. Like we're seeing one sequence and the camera does this weird fucking spinny shit. And now we're like 10 minutes before where we were. And we keep gather, we keep like picking up on this. And what you realize is after, you know, there's like there's 12 sequences total in the movie. And after a few jump backs, we get to this point where we're basically watching this woman just walk down the street and we're behind her and it. In 2002, when I saw this, I didn't know who Monica Bellucci was, I don't think. So, you know, we're watching her, and then the camera gets in front of her, and then she is confronted in a tunnel with a man who, if you are watching the movie carefully, you realize that the man she confronts, or who confronts her in the tunnel and becomes her rapist, is the guy who is smiling in the rectum. This is Latenia, which is French for the tapeworm, so they're like, trying to find the tapeworm in the rectum. This, again, is in a way being very funny. Very in <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Gaspar. So the point of the movie, to me, is that violence solves nothing from everyone, from everyone's perspective. Like, you get this hot for revenge, which, to Pierre's point, animals don't even do. Yeah. And it drives you so fucking mad and so crazy. It blinds you to the fact where you kill an innocent man. You kill the wrong person. Yep. And you're not really realizing this. I don't even know how many people realize this on first viewing, but you're not realizing this really until the rape scene. And you're like, oh, they're, oh my God, they killed the wrong, killed guy. The wrong guy. And then you watch this horrible thing unfold. But now we're only at the halfway point of the movie. And then everything else is kind of like easy breezy from there out. It's not worse. We get to see, you know, why she was at a party. She left the party because she is Vincent Cassell's girlfriend. They get into a fight because he's being an asshole. And that's why she ended up leaving by herself. Then we go before that and they're just in their apartment for like 20 minutes, lovey-dovey before they go out for the night. And then we even jump farther back. I'm not going to talk about like the last scene or anything, but it's so strange to step out of hell and walk into the light when most movies start at the light and then they just go down. Most movies like this rather, and they don't end well, but that's basically the construction of the movie. But that was more plot detail than I would have liked to have talked about if we we're talking about a movie, but it's you have to mention this because the entire point of the movie is that they kill the wrong person. Yeah. Like, they, they try to enact this revenge, and it is not correct because violence solves nothing and time destroys all things. That's, that's kind of the, where it's, everything's coming from. And I think and that's the point that, you know, you're trying to make when Gaspar knows exactly what he's doing here. Mm -hmm. Like what he's trying to say is exactly that. And that's the message of the movie. So when you walk away with that, that is a very, very poignant thing to be thinking of. And we're not just we're not just in the throes of what was just a completely shocking, disgusting, vile, repulsive movie. There's a point to it. Mm -hmm. And. Yes, exactly. Like most people don't need to go through this to get to that point. Yes, correct. But, but that's not what Gaspar does. Yeah, that's, this is his exercise. So, yes. okay, so let's, the biggest question anyone's ever going to have about Gaspar, I think, is why shoot this rape scene this way and why include it? Why? So, oh boy, this is going to give a really, oh my God, this is my full nerdum here. So like Irreversible is, I think it's available on DVD in America, but 
oh man, this uh, brand called Indicator basically released, they made 10,000 copies of this like hyper super edition of Irreversible. That's it, just 10,000. This is a Region B Blu-ray, so it won't play on any American Blu-ray players. Go on. And they, I will. And they have, <laughs> this thing has two discs. They have a version that you can watch it in order, and it has a No Way commentary. It's in French, but with subtitles. So I go, I'm going to buy this. And to do this, <laughs> I'm going to buy a region-free Blu-ray player, have that sent to me. So that's what I did. And not only that, I bought Love, Climax, Enter the Void already has a good American Blu-ray. So I have a little more insight into this movie from No Way, from this like really hot shit, really nice DVD packaging that they did, Blu-ray packaging that they did. The reason why I bought it is because I was like, I want to hear this dude talk about this movie. Like, like what the hell is he going to say about it? And this is my first No Way commentary. And it turns on and he's just, he just, he just talks like this. He's so quiet. <laughs> it's so nice. He's so calm. And he'll like be watching. He, what else here that isn't obvious? Okay. They did this. And at one point, like as we're building up to this rape scene, he goes, you know, people ask me all the time, Gaspar, you're so like quiet and nice and you're always smiling. Like you make these dark films and you're not dark. And his response to that is, yeah, neither is David Cronenberg, who I know, neither is John Carpenter. He's like, a lot of people I know who make these very, very dark films, it's because they come from a, like, a decent place and they just want to see these extremes on films. This isn't true of everyone. Lars von Trier is a deeply fucked up individual yeah, yeah. who like, you know, is working that out on screen. But Paul and, Schrader. Yeah, Paul Schrader. And then Gaspar goes... Some of the craziest people I've ever met are people who direct mainstream comedies who are just like <laughs> living in this hell and they're making these comedies. And I remember telling you that quote and you were like, well, think of stand-up comedians. Yeah. How many of them we hear about who unfortunately pass away, die by suicide, whatever it is. And most comedians are pretty upfront about like, yeah, I like hated life. I hated everything. So I just turned to humor, went to comedy. And that's where I am. It's really, it's just fascinating to watch a movie like Irreversible and then understand that it came from a man who's like, both of his parents were artists and he's very close with them and his parents didn't get divorced. They're together. Gaspar has been married to the same woman who's a filmmaker herself for like decades. There, there isn't, if there is some crazy trauma, I don't know, maybe, but he seems like a pretty balanced individual who's just, who just wants to make movies occasionally based on extremes. And this is an extreme. Well, it, it takes a really, really mature person. Correct. To be able to have a point to make and set it in such a depraved way. Yeah. Like, like someone who's not balanced in that way, I don't think can pull this off. So that there, there's the argument to make that like, it's because he is so mature and he's so knowing about what he wants to do and joyful about it mm -hmm. that I mean, I mean, you're about to get into it. I already know, but like an actress of Monica Bellucci's stature at that time, she's one of France's most favored at, at that time and maybe hadn't fully broken over in America, but definitely like one of France's yep. biggest actors. Like, and so was Vincent Cassell. At the time. And, and yeah. not even just her, but any actress is not going to sign on to do something like this unless they feel that this is for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. They're well, not the right reasons, but the the reasoning behind it is right. Yeah, and it has intent. And it has intent and there's a point to be made and it says something and I know this director is going to take care of me. Mm -hmm. There's a trust. Mm -hmm. You cannot do a scene like this without trust and complete like enthusiasm. Like right. I I I'm so excited. To you. I know you're about to tell it, but I love that this is 
the way that filming of that scene went. And I think by describing this, this will also help some of the listeners kind of realize that it's a movie, that it's a movie movie. and it was done with care care. So everyone's having a great time making this movie. Everyone's having a ball. I didn't Gaspar admitted uh, several years later that he (laughs) said fucking Gaspar. He uh, he qualifies this by saying, I don't do cocaine now because I have allergies. But he was having because he operates his own camera. He was having so much trouble filming that rectum scene because he had to take it up like three flights of stairs. The camera that he asked someone in the crew who had cocaine and he was just like doing lines of cocaine to keep that energy up through that scene. And that kind of explains a lot about the scene. But other than that, I mean, it seems like a very like joyful, blissful. I mean, in terms of the material, it's tough, but everyone was just on board. They're running and gunning. One thing I should say is the movie is comprised of a, of a series of incredibly long shots that are stitched together sometimes very uh, like hidden in editing other times you're just really seeing it for what it is and it's like that's a fucking 12 minute long take and that's how the whole movie is and they are given free range to their dialogue is their own they get to make it up so again the main reason i wanted to buy this region b blu-ray player and this dvd was in this blu-ray this irreversible blu-ray was to listen to this commentary and it was very interesting that like everyone's on board everyone knows that it's coming it's in the shoot And basically, he gives Monica Bellucci free reign to direct the scene. And he goes, anytime we need to cut, anytime you're uncomfortable, whatever, you call it, it's done. It's done. We stop. We reset. That's what we'll do. They had planned to do it, you know, as many times as it takes. They did it six times. They did it three times on one day, then broke, and then did it three times the next day. And it's not clear which take he used. I think it was the last one on the first day. But before the first take, oh, actually, I want to introduce this, introduce this. Joe Prestia, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. He plays Latenya, the rapist. In real life, is not an actor. He was a Thai boxing world champion. And a lot of the crew of Irreversible like knew who he was. So this is a guy who knows how to hold himself in physical contact. And you can tell. And that's that's one of the reasons why Gaspar wanted to hire him, because he could get like within an inch of her face and, and not hit her. But it, that's why it seems so real, like all those blows are really landing. And obviously they enhance it in sound later. But basically before the first take, Monica Bellucci pulls Joe aside and she's like, Joe, I need you to do something for me before we start this. And he's in, uh, you can see Joe in like uh, the special features on his Blu-ray. He's a very like composed, well-mannered guy. I'll talk about his experience filming the scene. Monica goes up to him and goes, I need you to be as brutal as you can. We need to push it as far as we can. And he's like, are you sure? And she went, yep. So she had no idea what he's going to do, like how long he's going to take what you know he he's doing a lot of things in that scene like knife here all all that stuff she didn't know and they just went for it and did it every time and it was you know they would break and monica bellucci insisted on watching it back right away and they'd be sitting there watching on the monitor and she's like jesus christ it's so awful like fuck Mm -hmm. let's do it again like it's just so real it's so brutal and there's a great part in the um in the blu-ray like in it's not a making of but it's basically interviewing everyone like you know 20 years later or so or so. And Joe goes, you know, I've been in a lot of fights, like consensual in a boxing ring, Thai boxing fights. Doing that, like I drove myself to set the first day and I had to be taken home because I was so exhausted. Filming that was more exhausting than any fight I've been in because I was like just giving it my absolute all. And he was, you know, he was mortified. It wasn't easy for him Mm -hmm. at all. But when you're watching it, it looks like it's really easy for him. It just looks like this is what this dude does. And to encapsulate such grotesque horror like that, but knowing that it was, an, it was a fun shoot, like they were getting work done and they're doing it. And it's not a fun, no one likes watching this scene. But I love knowing that it wasn't this set of like 
tense horror and everyone's like, oh God, what are we going to, what are we going to do? Everyone's just talking about it. You know, I, I don't know. There's something to that. There's a professionalism. Right. But again, like it, it, everyone who's a part of it knows what the reasoning for it is. Exactly. And, and that's what they're there to do. And it's sort of like, if we don't do this the right way, then, then what we're doing here is all for naught. Yeah. I'm going to switch a little bit to the technical aspects of the movie because this is why like it's when we say like he's taking care of you, this is how I mean. So we mentioned that the camera like is crazy and never really stops revolving and moving from when the movie begins. When that stops, when the camera first stops is during that rape scene when the camera just basically stays on the ground staring at this horror in front of us with the tunnel in the background. See that guy walk into the background oh, and does nothing, oh, just, which is such an element of reality yeah, it's to it. So, it's just so fucked up. So that's a lot of people watch it and they're like, oh, my God, like that disturbs people almost even more than anything else. And that in the dialogue. Yeah. And yes. Oh, my God. And Gaspar in the commentary is like, why is this scene nine minutes? Because I interviewed a lot of rape victims and I found out that it's not common for a rape to last less than nine minutes. So I'm going to make it nine minutes. And I'm like. Uh, that's awful, but that kind of makes sense to me. Okay. And just, he's explaining like all these things as he's going, oh man. So that's, so the first time it's like, this is a total, like, oh my God, Gaspar, you asshole. Like this is when you decide to, in terms of cinematography, calm your film down just to watch this horrible thing. Uh, Thanks buddy. And the rest of the movie after that is very simply shot. It's very like easy. And then the last scene is this really cool, like techno crane shot. It's like, it's wild, but he goes from a, mo- a complete and utter horror movie to like kind of this, you know, domestic, almost light like romance movie. And when the camera, oh my God, it's just crazy. It's almost Other- Jules and Jim like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Another inspiration for him. Other things technical, like if you watch this, you'll notice, especially in the beginning, how the camera's like kind of pulsating in and out. Oh, yeah. And it's pushing forward, moving back. All that's done in post production. Like that's wild. They actually shot this in 16 millimeter and then had it converted to like 35. So, meaning they could push the frame a lot in post-production. So a lot of the turning, uh, this is a Gaspar thing, because he also edits his own fucking movies too, which is insane. A lot of the crazy camera work, he's just pulling off and editing. And as an editor, these are usually things that professional editors are going, "Uh -uh, like, you don't do that in post. Like, you don't, you know, we want to stay away from those effects. And he's like, no, fuck it. it. If it enhances the scene, that's what we're doing. And you see this, you know, like, when Vincent Cassell's like talking to the cop in the back of the car and we're just pushing like in and out. The best example of this is first time I saw this movie, I knew what scene was going to be coming. I didn't know when, but I knew this was the rape scene movie. And the first time I watched it, you see Cassell and Pierre, like they're walking out of the club and they're like drunk and Vincent Cassell's like smoking a cigarette. And then he just looks down oh. and we boom right in on him with the sound of a heartbeat. Boom, boom. And the we heartbeat. push in on him. And he just, you know, he starts whimpering like Alex, Alex, which is Monica Bellucci's name. And then we tilt down to her and you're like, what the fuck did the, like, what has happened? Because yeah. of course we're in reverse. So we're seeing the aftermath of the horror, which makes it all the worse for like, then the next scene is the horror. And I just remember that push in with the heartbeat, me being like, oh my God. His reaction oh my, too. Yeah, that's and, so believable and his reaction. And, and one thing I just wanted to bring up really quickly is before we move on is just Vincent Cassell's like, just his animalistic energy yeah. all throughout, like technically in the timeline post this reaction. Right. Like that is a very, very commendable thing for that actor just to be able to harness and keep that type of energy throughout the whole rest of right. that arc. Right. Because when you, exactly what Pierre's character says, like you're behaving like an animal and even animals don't behave out of revenge. Like 
this is just this guy's at full on eleven, right? And and that's the other part of the point too. Mm-hmm. Like we've reached this point, but I just want to take a moment to com- commend Cassell for that acting. It's well, so I, good. I like that you said that. One of my favorite lines from Gaspar's commentary. It's during when uh, when Vincent Cassell is like I don't know beating the shit out of something in the beginning, like breaking the car window or whatever it is. He said Vincent is really excellent when it comes to the violent scenes. He practices boxing about every week which means he's a person who ritualizes his violent tendencies in a healthy way. I just love <laughs> that. And it kind of reminded me of me a little bit because like I love to box. So I'm hearing that. But I just that's where like Gaspar, he's like not a dude who judges you. He's like, oh, yeah, you're OK. You have a little fire to you, Vincent, as Vincent. Like, let's use that in some of this role. Bring it. Yeah. Like, I know outside of work, you use that in boxing and that's how you get it out. But let's like maybe skip boxing for a couple of weeks and let's bring it in here. And so to your point, yeah, the, even like the physicality of him just. It may be the best Vincent Cassell performance, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Like, you really feel for this guy, but you also just want to be like, hey, man, like, kind of let's slow up a little bit here. We maybe don't have to do this now. But then that's, that's again, like putting yourself in his shoes. Like, what would you do in that situation? I don't know. Oh, my God. For a film to be violent, it has to be believable. Another quote from Gaspar I really liked from the commentary, basically explaining, like, I don't want to make every movie like Irreversible. Not every movie I make is going to be this violent. However, the exercise here in making a revenge rape movie is violence. That's the exercise. And he goes, how many movies do we watch that have rape scenes that like as they're starting, you get to like see how it's going to begin. And then you just kind of cut the black or you cut away to the next scene. And which I get like, I don't want to see. If rape is going to be in a movie, I don't want to see it be an irreversible type scene every time. No, no, no. no. I get that some people cut to black, but he goes, that's not realistic. Like that doesn't show how awful a rape in real life can be. I wanted to show how awful it is and how awful it really can be. It may not be for you, but that's what I wanted to do. And that's the exercise. He, He also points out that the most criticism he received from it were from straight men. I thought that was interesting. Uh, that women didn't have as much of an issue with it. Women were kind of like, yeah, well, fuck, there there it is. And men were the ones who were more like frightened and terrified by it. I thought that was an interesting point. Uh, he mentions that a few times, a few times. You know, the movie premieres at Cannes, and obviously this is going to be like a really, uh, I, I can't even imagine what people, and it was like promoted as, it was being marketed like very intensely in France. And so the movie premieres, and it's like a lot of walkouts, a lot of people are enraged. And there is footage from the Cannes Film Festival, like of them leaving and this woman kind of accosting them saying like, you've made like horrible stuff, you've made horrible stuff. And one of them, like Monica Bellucci, basically just like confronts her, not like in an aggressive way. And it's just like, yeah, but this is life. Like this does happen. It's not everyone's life. It hasn't happened to everyone. But there are some people who do want to see this. There are some people whose experiences this has been. And that's what that's just what we wanted to do with this. Really to finish up this technical stuff. I love that you mentioned yellow for I stand alone. That is his favorite color. Uh, So like pre before that rape scene in the movie, we're all like red and brown and gross. And then he starts injecting a lot of color, like a lot of bright lights, a lot of greens, a lot of yellows. I also I appreciated in the commentary that he said the only frustration he ever got on the set and the scene he hated filming was the party scene, which is so funny because he's like, there's 150 extras and I let them drink. And they're looking in the camera, oh, no. they're being disruly, they're doing like they're smoking, people are doing whatever in the bathrooms. And it, it was so hard. So most scenes in the film required like an average of like six to 10 takes, it sounds like that's and these are long takes. So that's actually pretty impressive. The party scene had to be 20 because he's like, we will just kept messing it up. And that, that was the only time he got mad making the movie was that all these extras kept like 
ruining stuff. And Vincent Cassell even messes up in the take a little bit because yeah, he refers he to himself as his first name. Yeah. He's like, I'm Vincent. He says that to the girls and then he catches it and calls himself his character name. And Gaspar was like, I love that. So I just left it in. I thought it was hilarious. Well, and not only that, but you know, I took that because I noticed that too. And I, I sort of kind of wondered like if that was almost like a way, a character choice to kind of just be like, I know I have a girlfriend, right? So I'm just going to pretend my name is somebody else. And it could have been, and it could have been it. Yeah, but um, I mean that party scene is such a very realistic party scene. It is because you have a couple going, and they have a mutual friend, but the guy has clearly showed up to the party, and he's looking to have a different night than she is. And this is another thing I want to talk about because not really in the movies we've discussed so far, but in later movies, substances are very important to Gaspar Noé narratives. This, we only see, I think, one or two lines of cocaine being done in this film at that party scene. And those have huge consequences because he does that line, leaves the bathroom and becomes a bit of a coked out asshole to her. And picks this ridiculous fight and is being flirty. And that that is what motivates her to leave. And that's kind of what happens. You know, that is it's it's risky to be like, if he hadn't done that, then she wouldn't have left and all that. You know, that's kind of the movie. But that's the the point. Exactly. Yeah, that's the point. I mean, I mean, the choices that we make are irreversible. Exactly. And, that is and, the whole fucking point. And how this is going to go. But you know who really gets the shit out of the stick in this movie? Who? Besides <laughs> Monica Bellucci. <laughs> well, I would say she gets it the worst. Oh, Pierre. Oh, Pierre. Oh, Pierre. Pierre. Pierre has it rough because uh, Pierre's like the, he's the innocent one. He's, he's he, the nice one. But then, He carries a flame for her. Yes, exactly. He still does. And yeah. That's why it's like the Jules and Jim thing. But then, like, you know, he's also the one voice of reason throughout the whole entire thing as well. Until he's not. Until he's not. Mm -hmm. And then he's the one who fucks up the most. Yeah, exactly. Because he's he's the one who actually commits commits fucking murder. Because Vincent... To the wrong guy! Yeah, because Vincent Cassell is right there getting ready to kill this guy in the rectum. And then he is brutalized and his hand is... Oh, my God. Oh, that arm break. His arum. Oh, my God. And then, yeah, Pierre's like, oh, really gently, like, get off him. And then boom, here comes the first hit. And then he just, like, doesn't stop. And he turns into an animal himself. Yep, yep. And that, I mean, we're looping back. But that murder scene, even the way he does it, how he's, like, looking around and screaming. And he's kind of like, he can't believe he's doing it. But he can't, like, stop. And people are, like, looking like, oh, my God. That's another thing. Like, no one there speaks up and is like, can you stop? Like, Latanya's sitting there, like, smiling. Yeah, and, like, laughing. Enjoys There's it. a guy in the background, yeah. like, masturbating. Or, like, it's it's... That, that that's the world we're in folks that's, that's it that's the world we're in and uh complete this depravity does, this stuff does happen it does exist it's not what i want to see in a movie every time i put on a movie but you know it does happen and i think we've um we dedicated a lot of time to irreversible and i'm glad we did it but you know there it is wow and and, and i and i guess the only thing that i'll kind of end with is is you know as the movie keeps progressing because we got to just get to the very end you know, we get to the subway scene where we get this kind of banter between mm-hmm. the three of them that's just really kind of setting up the relationship. But then you get to that very first scene between um, uh, Bellucci and Cassell, and it's so sweet. So sweet. It's that's so what I meant. Loving. It turns into and like this nice little like domestic romance. Is this movie, if you were to see it in the order that it actually happens in? I, d- I have seen it. You have seen it. He put that on the Blu-ray. But it's is- called The Straight Cut. How how does that does that work? Does, no, it doesn't. It, I yeah, do not like it. I, I do not like it. I don't. And that's he did it on there just as an exercise. It has its own disc. I put it on, and I, I knew I wasn't going to like it as much. And then I'm like, no, because th- now you're turning into every other movie of this kind that yep. does this, where it's like, hey, you know, I mean, we see like you know the teenage girl, she's bopping around, going to school, and then boom, she gets like kidnapped on her way home, and then the horrible thing happens, and then 
if this movie they very interestingly they shot this in chronological order yeah because he knew the timeline he was going to reverse it that would be confusing to shoot it like that so they shot in chronological order but no it doesn't work straight it doesn't because you're just seeing this really happy-go-lucky couple and you begin in this very very beautiful bright place and you end in complete and utter demise and hell and it is a very fucking different experience to start in hell and end in heaven. And that is the point of the movie. And and also, like, when you get those moments of reveal where, because when we first meet Monica Bellucci, Alex's character, like, like uh, you know, her face is completely, like, From the back, in. exactly. So, so, but we don't know oh, who no, that character right. is. Oh, no, you're right. The very first time yep. we see her, she's on the so, fucking stretcher. Jesus, so we're just right. gathering, oh, yeah. my God, like, because Vincent Cassell is freaking out. Yeah. Then we cut right. to the back of her head and we just assume that this is that girl. Yeah. But then to me, like one of the things that's the most impactful moment is by the end of the party scene when she leaves, mm -hmm. because we know who this is now and what's yep. about to happen, it's we wouldn't get that impact if we were watching it straight. Correct. Because you would just be like, okay, we're just following her out. Yep. Like, here we go. Because now we're thinking about, no, if this didn't happen... Like what's about to happen wouldn't right. So you're almost like wanting to go back and be like no, please like don't like there, exactly there, don't leave don't leave. There's yeah. a bit of audience participation now that we're in where we are relating to the movie on a different level of knowledge right. And and then by the time that we get to that very beginning where it where it yeah to your point like we're in heaven and it's very loving. It's very sweet to end in a way where there's that, but it's also just reinforming the tragedy of mm -hmm. how this all really it, happens. It's We're not even saying every detail of where the characters are in the end of the movie. And I, cause I don't want to, but yes, it is reinforcing what has been lost. Yeah. What has been destroyed. Yep. And essentially it's like, it's a movie just about two people going out, a couple yeah. going out for a night on the town with their mutual friend. And, and then it turns the, into a what, complete nightmare. Yeah. The absolute worst thing you can imagine. That's what happens. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. That's basically exact. This is the worst possible thing could ever happen. Yeah. And playing yep. it straight does not work. And that is one of the things that makes me appreciate him so much that he's like, nope, putting it in reverse. Yeah. you. I can't imagine ending that movie in the way that it begins no. because- no. Walking out feeling that nauseous. Yeah, ex exactly. You're going to walk out feeling sick. You're going to feel like shit and you'll be like, okay, what so. What was this all for? Yeah, what was this for? And now when I watch it, I'm like, oh my God, they made. It's, it's so much more like heartbreaking because of what was lost. If you watch it straight, you're like, this was just fucking brutal and like nihilistic. And it's, I'm, my heart is not broken now. I just feel like kind of dirty and gross. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I'm never watching this again. Like, oh, yeah, God. what was the point of this? Yeah, what was And I, the, now this way you actually do, you're like, that's the point. Right. That's the point. Irreversible. We did it. So Gaspar has only made five films. He often takes pretty big breaks between movies, but he's not doing nothing. So Irreversible comes out in 2002, and he spends seven years crafting, filming, wow, one of the most unique experiences of cinema I have ever had in my life, Enter the Void. And I would argue that I'd probably say this is his uh, most seen film. Like most people who... If you go, you know, have you heard of Gaspar in a way? Most people will be like, oh, yeah, I've seen Enter the Void or they've like heard of that one because it's just so fucking nuts. And but it does have so much cool shit in it that that's the one I think that's probably had the biggest crossover in terms of with American audiences. And I bet you if you've heard of this movie at all, if you know what we're talking about, then you might have seen it on any streaming platform because it's usually streaming on some type Something, of thing. Yeah. And it's a very unmistakable cover. It's. 
very, very colorful. And it says like starting at the very top, enter, and then it kind of drops down to the void. I just always remember seeing that yeah. on some type of just like streaming service and being like, enter the void, enter the void. I don't, it, it, it looks very colorful, looks very trippy. And I mean, that's essentially what, that what it is. That is what it is. So what's the main objective of this movie? I think partly it's that Gaspar was very interested in depicting on screen a psychedelic drug experience. At least that's like how it starts, like in the beginning. And he wanted to go like, if you're sober, I want you to visualize what it's like to be on psychedelics. In this case, a very potent psychedelic called DMT, which I had never heard of when I saw this movie. I've heard about it now because of this film. But essentially the movie opens with, a drug dealer using DMT in his apartment. It lasts for about five minutes. It is one of the trippiest scenes I've just really ever seen in a movie. Like it's right up there with the trip to Jupiter in 2001. It's right up there with like the dawn of time in tree of life. Like it is a trip. It's really nuts. And you're, you're like, okay. And then the guy's phone rings. I've seen this movie so many times and just watch that scene. Cause I love watching like that trippy shit. That dude's phone. Like his ring on his phone is in my head. Like I have it <laughs> memorized it. It just because it's so like disorienting. So then basically he gets a phone call and he has to go meet up with his friend to give him drugs and, you know, drop off his drugs to this buddy. He does that. He enters the void, this club in Tokyo, walks in and he is very pretty quickly. He realizes that he's been set up. The cops are after him because he's a drug dealer in Japan. They take drugs. A little more, like way stricter than they do here. Like, you don't fuck around with it. And then the police kill him. They shoot him once. Again, violence very represented very well in No Way films, like just one bullet. And the kid dies. And essentially, for the rest of the movie, we are, for like the next half hour or so, we follow him as he goes and checks in on the people from his life, like immediately after, like his sister, mm-hmm. his best friend. And he's literally like a ghost, just yeah, like floating a spiritual above. Spiritual entity yeah, hovering above. above. And then he kind of gets, I don't know about closure, about where people are now. And then we essentially get to see like his life. We see him being born, but it's him like remembering it like as a ghost or as it's so strange and so bizarre. And I've never seen another movie told from this narrative point of view. I mean, for like the beginning of the movie, we're literally following him from behind. The only time we see this actor's face, he he wasn't even a professional actor, is when he like looks in the mirror in the beginning. And I don't know. That's another thing. Every Gaspar in a way movie, it may be including and especially this one, I watch it and yes, four or five times I go, oh, Gaspar. But also many times I go, how the fuck did he do that? Yeah. How, and these are not movies made for millions and millions and millions of dollars. Like I have as much as I know about cinematography, editing tricks, which is not to say everything, not at all, but at least, you know, multiple times in every movie, including this one, I go, how'd they get that shot? How'd yeah. they do that? And that's, you know, so that's a good place to start with the movie that we're entering, entering the psychedelic world where we're just following one guy around and seeing the highlights of his life. And it, it is a trip. <laughs> it is. It, it reminded me, I mean, I, I, event, I essentially kind of looked at the movie as I was watching it and I go, this is just like Terrence Malick on drugs. Oh my, I'm so glad you said that. I have that. Fuck, man, this is yeah. why we have this podcast, dude. I love it. Right here, what would happen if a kinky Terrence Malick made a movie? It would be Enter the Void. Yeah. I absolutely have that down. I have. This is not an absolute, like, mosaic. It has structure. Yeah. But sometimes when you're watching it, when, like, Malick is just trying to show, like, a mosaic of a time or a relationship or a life, he's not going to show you necessarily things. Like, I honestly thought, watching this, I thought of To the Wonder the most and just how he's picking these certain scenes to show of this couple, but like going back and seeing 
you know, moments from his childhood and how we see some of them twice, like the accident that his parents were in, and we see things multiple times, it really does present itself like as a mosaic. And this movie is fucking beautiful. It is. It's gorgeous. Like all the shots are gorgeous. The trippy stuff. But then even when it calms down and we're just like with him and Paz de la Herta, like just looking at the sunset. Oh yeah, there, there's so many. I mean, and there's even like, I mean, like there's even such abstract shots as like baby's feet and mm-hmm. hands. I mean, it's so tree of life like. Yeah. There's not really a plot to it, but you're just sort of kind of wandering through in a very Gaspar Noe kind of lifestyle, like especially with his sister. But, but like, I, I, I really enjoyed her performance in this. I do too. I thought it was, I mean, it's not, it's not nice. Uh, she does not live a good life, um, and and what ends up happening to her and around her because of just the tragedy of the way they grew up. Right. But I just believed her. Mm-hmm. I believed her in in the way that anyone could believe, as abstract as a journey that this movie was. Right. I believed her character every time she was doing something on screen, and I think that's honestly kind of rare for a Gaspar movie because right. He does not use a lot of real actors a lot. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think Irreversible is a little bit different. Well, he usually has one or two in there to yeah. try to offset everyone who isn't. He likes that. He likes mixing yeah, up professionals mixing and non-professionals. Yeah. Yep. And and when those actors like like nail it, like mm-hmm. it, it's it's very, very cool. And yeah. so I th- always thought her scenes were very captivating. Well, it. especially when this the ghost of this brother is like checking in on her after he's died. And she's just like this fucking wreck who like yeah. can't do anything. And I honestly had forgotten that, like w- in my watches of this movie. So when I was rewatching it for this, I went, "Oh my god, I, she's really committed in there and like devastated." And what's the point of life? Like, I don't. Who cares? And I, I went, "Oh, this. Yeah, I really do believe this is a woman who's lost her brother, who was the most important person to her." But what I also like is like in the past, you get to see how she's like clean and innocent and everything's yeah. cool, and then he brings her to Tokyo. And I mean, her first night, it just goes off the rails. And off the. Yeah. It's like you know. Every your behavior has consequences, basically, and it's oh my god, it's yeah, it's very effective to kind of because this is a movie I think first and foremost that is like designed and marketed as like the trip. Like you're gonna see some trippy shit when you watch this movie. But again, speaking about the technical aspects, speaking about the story, he is taking care of us. I mean, the technical you could argue this is maybe his most technically proficient movie. He's doing so much cool shit in this. I don't even know how to like speak on it. The crane when we're like following his friend Alex from above. Yeah, yeah. That's, there's a movie called Angst with which I've referenced. I, I mentioned on this podcast. It was one of my what are you watching mentions, and that that movie was made in 1983. That's one of Gaspar's biggest influences, and that is like a direct homage to it. We're just above Alex, you know, running in the alley. Like the whole movie of Angst is doing that, but it still like re- looks really cool. Yeah, and Enter the Void. Oh my god. Do you think this movie? I I don't believe it's either. But then I think that's a great, I think it's another one of Gaspar's points is I don't consider this movie to be pro or anti-drug. No, I don't either. I think, good question, fair question. I'm not sure Gaspar in a way lives like that in like yeah. pros and cons. I think he is more interested in like putting on the screen and I, like he often, he says all the time, I want people to not like my movies. Not everyone, but he likes that debate. He likes engaging with people who don't like stuff and they're like, why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? The drug use and particularly the drug dealing in this movie has a lot of consequences. Mm-hmm. It leads to the main character dying, which isn't a spoiler. It happens right away. Yeah. You know what else has a lot of consequences in this movie and is treated very real is sex. Oh, there's absolutely. actually a lot of sex in this movie that doesn't get talked about a lot because there's so much other shit happening in it. But there's a lot of sex. But, you know, the main character 
very like just a few weeks ago or in the very recent past has engaged in sexual activity with someone that no one in their right mind would do would engage with you would just go nah it's okay and that leads to his death i'm not going to say who or like how it comes out and then you know the sister engages in sex a few times it has very real consequences but just like the drugs i think he's interested in being like you know what happens here's what what it looks like when you you know smoke dmt and you have a trip like that's cool but then that is fun. He, but then 10 minutes after he does this, 15 minutes later, that guy is dead because mm-hmm. of drugs, yeah. not from using, but from dealing and running from the cops. Yep. And yeah, that I think he's showing both like, you know, smoking DMT. Sure. He's showing like there's a reason why people do this. It's fun. You get to see crazy shit like mm-hmm. that. And he, he it sounds like he researched this, uh, had a bit of fun. You know, he <laughs> yeah, he dove in and did did all the stuff to uh, get mentally there. But He's also showing that it does have consequences. If you enter this world of drugs, especially in, in a place like Tokyo, where it's just much stricter, yeah, things can go wrong very quickly. And he's even warning that from the beginning, from my one of my favorite characters in the movie, Alex, you know, his friend in the purple shirt. And he sees him like getting ready and he goes, that's a lot of gear, man. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, a lot of gear. he's like, you, you're taking all that? Like, that's a lot of shit. He's like, you should really fucking come and get that, man. <laughs> but he's right. He's like, yeah, that's fucking dangerous, man. Like, but it, yeah. And it, so he's being warned right then. Like, this isn't. And Alex is the guy who uses drugs. He's yep. the one who got him into drugs. But he knows his limit. He doesn't even go with him into the fucking void. He's nope. like, I, I'm going to stay out here, man. I can't watch you do this shit. I use drugs, but I don't fucking deal like and, this, man. And, and that's the, 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 to piggyback off that, like that whole entire conversation they're having along the walk. Yeah. All they're talking about is drug use yeah. for the most part. Right. Like, there's some other things that are kind of peppered in, but well, for the most part, in yeah, sister. sister. <laughs> but like, he's basically like the main character's like, hey, have you ever tried this? And he's just giving him like a very, very like honest appraisal. It was like, yeah, like I did do that. This is what happened to me. This was my experience with it. I don't recommend it, but I mean, if that's what you're into, like, it's a very, very diplomatic conversation uh, that two people are having about drugs, which is why I find the movie so interesting, because I can see an argument being made against a bunch of people who don't like the movie Mm -hmm. to be like, this movie is like, this movie is like advocating for drug use, or it's a movie that's like completely saying like drugs are bad. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Gaspar, that's why I was asking you, I don't don't think Gaspar is making a stance on that at all. No, I think he's, yeah, I think he's someone who acknowledges and accepts why people use drugs because they're fun. And then he's also acknowledging that if you're too into the world, you can get fucked and you can get killed. And that's exactly, that's exactly it. And, uh, but I also, you brought up the sex in the movie. Mm Um, and so, like, later in the movie, like, towards the end, we enter into this love hotel, mm-hmm. and oh it's just this crazy, trippy experience where you're watching all of these people in various rooms have sex, but it's so cool. But, like, all in, like, one shot, the camera's <laughs> yeah, just, like, floating they, up, and I'm like, how is he doing this? Like, this is and, insane. And what I loved about it is, like, the the visuals mm-hmm. of, like, where, like, the energy is pulsating through, like, the like their genital area. Well, yeah, he literally has, like, a light, like, emoting from the genital yeah, area. Yeah, and it's so yeah. cool, but that scene to me mm-hmm. is actually really sweet yeah it is because it is. because all the sex that we're seeing is all a part of this hotel called love mm-hmm. and all of it seems to be so pleasurable consensual and enjoyed by every party right that you're also sort of being like wow this is actually in a strange way like really wholesome mm-hmm. like we're like this is this is what people do yeah and but we're seeing it in through such like the, like a a pleasant way right. of experiencing it 
which is another point that Gaspar, I think, is trying to make. Yeah. You know, yeah. not everything is one thing. Right. And when we're seeing all this sex, because eventually you do have to ask yourself as the audience, why are we seeing all of this sex? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, this is the world of love. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's really sweet. Well, hold on to that because that's going to come up very soon. But, and again, I just like to point out that uh, most of the sex in this movie does have consequences. And I'm not even, I, I don't even know how to like put into words how this movie ends. It's just, <laughs> it's going to be something you've never seen in a movie before. That's all I'll say. You're going to get an inside view of something that. Wow. Y- yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Way to I, say it. Th- this is a one where I went, this was maybe one of the ultimate, like, oh, God bar oh my and then that's how the movie ends but you know this is a trippy movie it's very it's pure gaspar it's definitely more accessible than his first two films also not the easiest one like this is a guy who's gonna go i'm gonna show you the consequences of sex for some women that lee you know the consequence is they get an abortion and he is not gonna skirt away from this and show her like laying down and then cut the scene he's gonna show it and it ain't gonna be easy and that's just you know he goes there he's a guy who goes there and again if you want to watch and even attempt to appreciate or enjoy one of his movies you at least have to be willing to meet him there i'm not saying you got to be like i agree that he went there but you got to go okay fuck he went there um that's something i'm gonna have to process that shot later okay okay but it shouldn't and in my very humble opinion i think for us it doesn't anger us i think we are very interested i mean i'm just so curious about him in every movie yeah, like yeah. why 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 and why is a dangerous question? Because it can sound very judgmental, but I just, it's why I bought these, you know, Blu-rays and DVD players because I want to be able to hear this shit. And the more I dive in, the more I investigate, the more I get it and yeah. I understand it. I'm not going to put one of these movies on like every week, but I get his intention. I get what he's doing. But this would not be the movie that if we were to initiate somebody into the Gaspar Noe film universe... I wouldn't start with this, even though I think you're right when this is probably the most seen of his work. Right. I don't think I would start with this one. No, I know which one I would start with as well. It wouldn't be this. It, you know, and it's still not even the easiest of sales. No, none of them are good like Back it up and be like, okay, this is maybe his most accessible, but you're still going to have to anticipate XX and X. I would say, hmm, Irreversible is like its own thing. And most people know that movie. And I can kind of like, I can explain to people like, here's the, this is why I think he did it. The intention we just went on for like 40 minutes about it. Explaining 2015's love is uh, for people who aren't on board is a very, very difficult thing. And this may be the easiest movie of his to explain. This is a love story about two people who fall in love. It's an American man. They're in Paris. He falls in love with a woman there. They meet, you know, they meet by chance, like mutual friends. Fall in love. And this is a movie that focuses very intentionally on that hyper aggressive sexual life right when you are first falling into things. Yep. And that's an interesting take to have on a movie. You know, we've all seen relationship movies that focus on like it's really good in the beginning, it's really sweet, and then it goes to shit like Blue Valentine. Or yeah. maybe we get like a decades long progression like the before series where it starts here and then now we're fighting in a hotel room, whatever it is. I've seen movies that focus on like the intense sexuality of a relationship. Although I have never seen a movie, nor have you, nor has anyone else, where those two actors are engaging in real sex mm-hmm. and they're actually going for it. And it's very, very clear based on the camera shots that this is not um, CGI, as in the case of like Von Trier's Nymphomaniac. This is, um, these are two people, three people, three performers who knew what the deal was. They knew what the shot was. They talked about it with Gaspar. 
They were all on board. And that's the thing that's hard to justify, hard to explain for someone who's not on board. Why in the world would this man make a relationship movie in which two people are actually having sex? How the fuck is this not pornography? See, that's what you're, you said the word. Boom. I do not consider this movie pornography. Me neither. I do consider this movie... Like when, when we're, the scenes that we're watching, I'm like, I truly believe we are not watching porn. We are watching sex. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between the two. Yeah. Porn is designed to, it, it's, its chief objective is to just get you there. Right. Where right. this, while you may have those feelings, mm-hmm. the intention behind it is to show you that couples all have sex. Yeah. And when you fall in love, Sex is a part of that. Mm-hmm. And all of this and that is just really revolving around the sexual nature of human beings. Most of, if not all, of the sexuality that you see in this movie is not, in my opinion, designed to make you feel that way intentionally. I don't think it's designed necessarily to titillate. I think yeah. it's so fucking well shot and yeah. like well scored. Like the music is insane. Like they would spend, essentially, they did all these scenes first. They shot all the sex scenes first because he didn't want the actors to be like anticipating them like, oh, fuck, it's three weeks from now. Like, oh, my God, it's got them all out of the way. And none of it was choreographed. None of it was rehearsed, just like Gaspar's dialogue. It's not rehearsed. You get to make it up on the on the fly. And he just, you know, they would light it. Him and Benoit Deby, they would light it. And there has never in the history of cinema been this good looking of sex scenes ever. They yeah, are true. gorgeous. Like the lighting is gorgeous. And the camera, it while it cuts, the camera doesn't move. Like when it's in a composition from above or from here, you're just sitting there like watching. It feels almost more like a documentary. And then like, you know, why, 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 why include this? Why include this? I and you are not here to like explain why Gaspar and Way does the things he does. He does a lot of interviews. You can go watch it that way. But when I heard about this movie and when I saw it, and I'm going to talk about that, I got what he was doing. And again, mm-hmm. this isn't something I want to see in every film. Yeah. It's not. It just... It pushes it as far as sex scenes can go, but every scene's consensual, every scene's above board, and he, his kind of thing that he's always said is, why is, particularly in America, are you all so crazed about, like, violence and gunshots? You can watch PG-13 movies, you can watch, like, you know, movies even on TV, like network television, where there's so many people dying, getting shot, getting stabbed, but you people are so afraid of sex, yep. and I get that this is real sex, and it could be uncomfortable, but, like, why do my French audiences not mind this that much, but you people lose your mind? Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting, actually. I think it is very, mm-hmm. too. I think it's very telling as a society, as Americans, the way that there's still very much a taboo relationship to sexuality in terms of how we see it in our media. Right. And that just doesn't exist in most of Europe. Yeah, exactly. And and, and, exactly. and, and so, yes, we, I mean, that being said, like, we are all talking about Europe. These are all French movies being made by, you know, a French filmmaker. And so they've got their own ways of doing things. But at the same time, art is still art, no matter what country you're from. Mm-hmm. And the use of what he's doing here is not exploitive. And, and I believe that's an argument that many people that don't like his work make. Yeah. And, and I think this is just another example of it. And he's providing his critics with ammunition. There's no oh, reason yeah. that he had to film oh. real sex scenes here. He's doing it to like stir to kick up a fuss it's all very intentional haven't really fully explained what the movie's about because this goes into explaining like how technically proficient his films are so the film it well it starts 
I love Oh, no, this is the way, this is how you start a movie. <laughs> this movie was on, I cannot fucking believe this movie was on Netflix for a long time. And, you know, people ask me, it used to happen more because now people just pick their own shit because it's streaming. But people used to ask me a lot, like, hey, what movie should I watch this weekend? What's a good movie? And when this thing was on Netflix, I'd be like, oh, check out this movie, Love. Not the Judd Apatow show, like, it's called, like, Love, Gaspar and Away. Here's what the cover looks like. Yeah, just throw that on. Do, you know, do it with your... Significant other. significant other and uh all of them without question never made it past the first scene because someone in the room said uh no 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 i mean a little the, asshole that was just me kind of trolling uh it was great there's an argument to be made that like you i know I, what you're getting into when with you watch every that. gaspar noe movie if you can make it through the first 20 minutes of the movie well first off that first 20 minutes is going to let you know what you're in for oh, yeah like no matter what and um and i think that's actually a cool mark as a director right like there's a way that you're starting off being like boom mm-hmm. like get ready strap in buckle up buckaroo because this is what we're going for and i love that because when you i mean yeah because i mean we spoiled a lot of things but we're not going to spoil this one because just when you get when that's the first image that you see very beginning and it, it looks gorgeous and there's yep. great music behind it but you're like oh and oh, just right away we're doing this now now here is a, a point to be made where like we talk about the the gratuitous shots mm-hmm. i i wouldn't necessarily i mean i wouldn't pr- i don't personally take this moment to be gratuitous but i wouldn't argue someone that does oh no like neither. there's another moment in this scene that i think is 100 percent gratuitous by in- intention by intention yes. yes but this one i i wouldn't personally but if someone was to be like i think that's a bit gratuitous i'd be like you know what i see that because you don't know anything about this movie none right. of us do we just open up on this yeah and it's sort of like okay all right i mean and and and, uh, you know, and we finish it. Well, that's why all my friends turned it off because they're like, what? Like, what, what about like, what did you start well, us to watch? It, it does finish. Oh, boy. <laughs> but after that, it's basically the movie, uh, the current, present, contemporary narrative of the movie all takes place on New Year's Day. Yeah. And this guy Murphy has woken up. He's got, I, I don't think, you know, they're together. He has a lady and they have a newborn. And this dude is hungover. And similar to I Stand Alone, most of the movie is like voiceover. his voiceover, especially and- like. No, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, Gaspar, Gaspar Noe's voiceover is just unmistakable. It, yeah, and the way this actor delivers it, too, is really, like, it's really down here, and like, it, fuck, I'm tired. I think it, I, I think it, drink. I think Carl Glausman, that's his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. He, I think, you know, so many directors talk about certain actors because kind of sing mm-hmm. their language. I feel like he does that. Yeah. Like, I hear exactly the the cadence, the 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 gravel, the gravel of it. But just also, just like the rhythm right. is, I think, exactly how Gaspar hears it in mm-hmm, his head. Mm-hmm. I agree. So the we gather very quickly, this dude is not like, he doesn't really like this kid he has. He does not like this woman he's with. And throughout the course of that day, he takes a little opium, and he basically trips out throughout the day and remembers this, the most important love of his life, the, you know, ar- arguably the one that like formed his, it was just this crazy, erotic very heated love that he had and we essentially go it's not perfectly in like reverse chronological order but as he like sits down on this opium trip he's remembering events from their life mm-hmm. and we the first things we see are like the fallout like they've they've already been broken up and he's like trying to get her back there fighting horrifically horrifically and then you know we'll jump around and we get to see them like at the peak of their relationship when they're having sex all the time and like everything's good and they're talking and it's all good and then the movie, this isn't a spoiler, but like the movie, the last thing we see in the past is the first time they meet, which yeah. is like toward the end of the movie, all that great, like 
long conversation. It's all in so one colorful. shot. So colorful. The, this movie's so yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, it's so my favorite colorful. looking. It is. It's my yes, favorite right, looking yeah. No Way. Yeah, like it's, oh my God, it's so beautiful. So we're ascent, We're kind of getting like a love story in reverse. It's not perfect reverse, like irreversible, but he's remembering like, you know, these highlights. And then it, it very quickly, when you're paying attention, it comes into play like this current lady of his and this kid, they did not come from nowhere. And again, talking about this is a movie with a lot of sex and not all the sex necessarily like has consequences in this because when you're just starting out in a relationship like that doesn't have consequences. Mm-hmm. But the big acts when he strays yeah. from his lover those have consequences, very, very big ones. And that, again, is like what the movie's about, that not everything is just all good. And just because like we've, you know, maybe we're mixing up our love life a little bit, it doesn't mean you're allowed to on your own whenever the fuck you want. Yeah. And I I mean, I just love that. This is, I'm not even kidding. This is a weird thing for people to hear, but I got to own it and I believe it. I think this is the most realistic movie about like a contemporary relationship. It's a contemporary relationship that meets under the circumstance of we're just going to go at it all the time, not even really like engaging on. We don't really see them like doing much else. Like when they're out, they don't even really seem to be like getting along a lot. Mm -hmm. Like he's this like up and coming director, which he never really fully seems on board with, like kind of. But like a movie where what that's about, like meeting a lot of lovemaking going for it and then it ends badly quickly because of drug use because of cheating this is so fucking realistic and some of the arguments they had which again were unscripted they just had an outline i mean they're they're devastating and the stuff he says to her oh it's like the oh, meanest my, things that, the that, meanest yeah. things you can say to someone and then it'll just like cut to them like trying to make up and you're like oh man this is a terrible well, terrible love and and it, it yeah and that and i think that's another point to why i argue that like the sexuality in this movie isn't porn is because every sex scene that we see there's a reason for it mm-hmm. it's almost like a scene in a way because when we get towards the end of the movie where their relationship is not good right the sex that they're having is coming from an ugly place very, very. and there is nothing erotic about these scenes no the, it's very it, aggressive very just yep. like i'm mad at you so we're working this out through sex which doesn't uh, doesn't work folks yeah you know, that's what they realize and, yeah and that and that's the point and then but when they are having like these very very beautiful moments tender, together tender yeah. like then we are seeing like the love, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. pun intended. But um That's why it's called that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't disagree with you when you say that this is probably the most realistic depiction of like a contemporary love because mm-hmm. the candid moments that are happening in this movie are some of the most realistic down to earth like moments that you have as a couple yeah. when you're alone in bed. Yeah. And like like one of my fucking favorite little things that they did was you know, he's taking like these like very private, candid like Polaroids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, later when he's like trying to remember, he's mm-hmm. like looking back. And then when we finally get to the scene where that's all happening and where that is, like he's not looking at these photos to look back at his his ex-girlfriend naked. Uh-huh. He's remembering the love and desire that he was feeling when these photos were taken. Exactly. exactly. And like that longing and feeling is just something that I just don't see represented in a lot of mm-hmm. movies that are like this. Right. And I just thought, and the, and the way that they talk to each other, and the, it, I, yeah, I agree with that statement, basically. Yeah, and also going back to, like, the bad shit in his movies do have, they are there for intention. Like, drug use, it isn't as overt as some of his other movies in this, but it is important to their worlds, like Coke doing this, doing stuff, and they have that conversation where they're, like, walking in the, in the you know, like, the graveyard, and she's like, I feel like all we do now is just do too many drugs and then try to like make up with sex later. Yep. And they both look like gray and like awful. 
And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the consequences of, hey, met this girl. And from her perspective, like met this guy, we get along. Our sex life is great. And it's just like casual fun drug use. Have you tried opium? How about Coke? Like you're doing this. It's not really clear how much time passes in the movie. I like that, like how long they're together. Yeah. But the drug use, particularly for her, had does not go well. Yeah. And it's like she can't, you know, can't handle it. And he clearly can't either. I just love that. It's a movie. Again, this is a director who works in extremes, but he shows the devastating consequence of such extremes. He's not endorsing these extremes. He's just not. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a thing that like no way does in all of his movies. It's those thick cuts with the black with the black. They don't well, last very here, long. It's almost like Murphy's blinking. It's yeah. like sometimes he blinks and you just go. You're like in a either you're right there. You're still in the same scene or you may have just jumped back four years and you're like, yep. oh, where are we? Yeah. And it's always seems to be in this case, the use of those cuts seem to be it's a change in thought. It's a change yeah. in in just like it's a it's a beat for lack of a better term. Like we've just kind of just switched, even though we might be in the same shot. We've just switched a way of thinking. Right. Like, it's sort of like he's dwelling on one thing, then we get one of those shots, and it's almost like he's telling himself, no, don't think that way. Which is also what Noe does in his voiceover. Mm -hmm. Like, he'll Mm -hmm. contradict, like, no, don't, that's too much. We can't go there. Um, Which I just think is great. And there's also, like, a really lot of great callbacks in this movie to uh, Gaspar's favorite movies. Like, he loves Sallow. He loves Sallow. He loves M, Taxi Driver, 2001. And and he puts, he's even got, like, a makeshift model of the Love Hotel. I think it's the same model. It's the same, yeah. yeah, So it's just, like, a nice little, very overt Easter egg from Enter the Void. I love that. So do I. I I think this is one of the coolest things directors can do. Yeah, he loves calling back his own work, but not really overtly, but all right, let me get into uh, some of the technical aspects of this because get into it. Gaspar, I mean, he, hear me out, folks. I'm not <laughs> why, why, why. Gaspar in a way, his mom was dying, and he had just bought a 3D camera, so he shoots her dying in 3D because his name's Gaspar in a way. I mean, what, what do you want me to say? Like, I don't know. And he was so moved by like how it looked and the pain of her. I think that has a lot to do with Vortex coming oh, out. Like, good God. I think he's Brilliant. using like that experience, but he got used to like 3D cameras, and he. You know, he hooks up with Benoit to be and he's like, what if we do this like 3D? So you can't watch the movie in 3D now, although in the region B Blu-ray I bought, they do have 3D option. I have to get a 3D TV and some glasses. And what's the best scene to watch in 3D, Alex? Well, I was fortunate enough to see this film in 3D (laughs) in November 2015 when this film had a very brief run at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica. And I knew what I was going to get into, but we had glasses. we, We had the whole thing. And about Five minutes, I don't know, like 10 minutes into the movie, I get what he's doing, that the camera is rarely, if ever, going to move. It's yeah, yeah. very still, not. it's not going to like be herky-jerky, like it'll push in very carefully. And that's because in 3D, it just made everything very easy to watch cool. and very easy to focus on. And like 40 minutes in, I went, I've only seen one good movie in 3D, like to utilize that technology well, and that was Avatar. And then like by the time Love was done, that was the best use of 3D I've ever seen in a movie because it was he was living in the world of it. And it just not all of it was overt. And then <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. sold out screening. And, uh, you know, during that scene when like things aren't going well and they're having like a lot of aggressive sex, you know, why not? We get a close up of a fully erect penis. And when I say close, <laughs> I mean close. And it uh, goes to the end. And in 3D, that was shooting right out at you. And when I tell you that everyone in the movie theater loved it and applauded because they knew what we were getting into yeah that's what happened and that is that's one of the most memorable movie going experiences i've ever had i was just 
at one point, I kind of put my hands up and just went, holy shit, like Gaspar. That's the oh Gaspar God. moment. It's abs- and that's him. That is gratuitous. That's the gratuitous. Purpose. That's him being like, eh, fuck you all. I don't yep. care. Like, I'll give you something to, to you know, hate and like, oh, God, rally against. Uh, I mean, I can't justify that. Like, why did he include that, Alex? How the fuck do I know? Because it's Gaspar. Yeah. Like, I can't, you know. I guarantee you he included because he thought it was going to be funny. Yes, of course. And, and he, he wanted to get a rise out of everyone because everything else he does is intentional. So why not be like, yeah, all right, here you go. In some ways, this is his most playful movie in terms of him, like, doing a very casual middle finger to his critics because like you know he has characters named gaspar in the movie oh yeah he does it all the time yeah he has characters named he shows up in his movies he shows up so in this he you know shows up he's got a like a pretty bad toupee which i really love and he ends up having sex with the lead actress and when i started reading reviews of this movie not a well-reviewed movie not it's the least well-regarded film of his filmography which is saying something when I started reading reviews, I gathered really quickly that a lot of critics watching this movie thought that every single sex scene in the movie was was unsimulated. So a lot of people were like, the director had sex with his own actress. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There are scenes in the movie that you can very clearly tell are not simulated. When you see, yeah. you see penetration or you see hands and uh, all the stuff. There are uh, also a great number of sex scenes when they're clothed, yeah. when you don't, and those were un, those were simulated. Those were not like Gaspar in a way is uh, a little left to center, let's say, but he's not crazy enough to like do that to like yeah. actually have sex with someone. So again, just investigate it a little more, and I think that's him having a little fun, being like, I bet everyone thinks every single act of sex in this movie mm-hmm. is real, even when he like cheats on her in the bathroom with that girl at the club. There's no yeah, I, I mean, maybe, but there are ways to shoot stuff as all most other movies with sex scenes do. It wasn't like a free for all, like everyone's having sex. That wasn't what it was. He's almost kind of like tricking people into thinking that everyone's having sex. But no, he wasn't. That's all. And stepping into that scene just from like in the in like the in the world of the movie. What a fucking idiot. The main Which character oh, is, when he, is like, when he cheats on her. Oh, well, like that is like the. I mean, I believe him because yeah, he's I believe like, him too. He starts that scene like the drunken. I mean, as a director, there's nothing worse than an arrogant director who clearly hasn't made anything, and he's just like, <laughs> "This is what I want to do. I want to tell with meaning." And he's even yeah. talking about like, "I want to make a movie with real sex." So very he's, again, he's wearing a play- fassbender shirt, exactly, very playful. And then yeah, he just goes like straight away into a bathroom and hooks up with this. It's so dumb. That's nothing. He's an idiot. He's an idiot. He's, an idiot. he's a he's an, fucking he's idiot. He's a young idiot. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yep. One other thing I want to say about this. Um, this is tough because the next movie we're going to talk about has an incredible soundtrack, but I love all the songs in love. Like he uses one of my favorite Brian, you know, songs always returning when they're during like a tender moment. And then I just got to call it like I see it, folks, like Maggot Brain by Yo, Funkadelic is during the threesome. And he like play that's like a 10 minute song yeah. he just plays that thing out and i i had i hadn't heard it like all the way through and then after i saw that movie i became like really obsessed with that song and funkadelic and that's that may be like the best scored and shot love scene honestly ever and i'm not even kidding can't like, disagree just, yeah and just to keep going with this i was watching the movie and there's this one scene going on and there's this guitar work being played and i go god i love this guitar like Who my is favorite my favorite guitarist of all time is John Frusciante from Boom. the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and so I Shazam the song, and and it turns out it's one of John Frusciante's solo like right. songs. I go, God damn it! Gaspar. No wonder I fucking love it, Gaspar. You son of a bitch! You've done it again. 
His soundtracks for all of his movies are really great. Very important. Whether it's the score in the movie, like yes. for Irreversible or I mean Enter the Void has some great oh, it's songs. Great. And love is yeah. like Love was one that I like downloaded all those songs and tried to like put them in order because like they did have a soundtrack, but I just yeah, I love them all. I yeah, I, I love love. I love love. I what love can love. I say? <laughs> So this is really saying something, but if someone's like, I'll, I'll tempt fate with one Gaspar movie, what's the most accessible? I'm going to go, well, I can't believe I'm saying this, but um, it's probably his most recent climax, which is, oh, what's that about? Huh. Um, it's about a bunch of dancers who've been rehearsing and like they're all in a good place and it's the last day of rehearsal and then they decide to have a little party. There's some sangria and we realize that someone has spiked the sangria with LSD and complete and utter fucking chaos ensues. That's an accessible movie. <laughs> yep. And yeah. Oh, it man. is the most accessible one that he has. It really is. I mean, it is. It's, it's like, you know, what's cool about him is I mentioned how he takes, he's taken a long time between projects in the past. And it's, what's interesting is that he usually shoots very quickly. Like, I forgot to mention this, but something, if I have this right, like love, they started filming that in October 2014. Okay. They wrapped in February 2015. So that's a pretty good shooting time. He had that at con in May 2015. So they wrapped in February and he has it ready in May. And again, he edits his own movies, but like, Jesus, like, I, I don't know. It's just his work output. His work output is so intense and so effective. But then Climax is just crazy because it's something like he gets this idea for Climax. I want to make a movie really quickly, just about a bunch of dancers spike with LSD. And this comes together fucking quick. Like he gets, he finds these dancers. There's only two professional actors in the movie. Sophia Butella, like the lead, who's great. Yeah. And then the woman who's pregnant who we find out is pregnant uh -huh. she's a professional actor and they get them all together that woman who's pregnant like she was literally brought on they had already started shooting so she had like no time to prepare and they shoot in like less than two weeks it's it's like a week in this one setting and that's just crazy like they rehearsed the dance numbers in this for like two days it's insane two, that's fucking nuts this is some of the best dancing yes i've ever seen in a movie what he did is he hired like different crews so like all the crunk artists like the black dudes they knew each other yeah like yeah. outside of the movie and then they're different you can see like different groups who like kind of know each other when they're talking so he hired like these group of friends and then in my opinion very smartly brought that actress on the one who's pregnant who's the outcast kind yeah. of the movie late and she like didn't rehearse with him didn't do stuff that's a gaspar thing to do to make her feel like that isolation but i've already described what the movie's about but yeah i mean that's pretty much it it's it's split into two pretty distinct parts like the first part everything's kind of fun like they the opening scene is this well, not the opening but the first after like the very opening scene is this one shot dance number maybe like one of the great all-time oh, dance numbers it's one of my favorites yeah captured in one shot and we gather that like well let's just talk about that first like let's just get through yeah. that dance number i mean it's what a way to start a film and just yep full tilt boogie like you're so you're just in it and it's so fun and crazy to watch and i've never seen dancing like this before and they're coming in and out of frame and then the camera's just on the ground and just like lifts in the fucking air and then we're turning it's so cool man it's so cool and like so many of these dancers are doing like contortion yeah. stuff like yeah. i mean it's wild and and the music is so cool so you're just really i mean i, I actually I, I i i'm i'm not really correct with the times but i clocked it a little bit is that for like the movie's like an hour and 35 minutes mm -hmm. 
And only the last 45 of it. It's 45 and 45, basically. Yeah. It's, it's like, that's how long it is. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and like, that's, so like the first part of this movie is nothing but fun. Yeah. It's fun. They're dancing. That It's been a great few days of rehearsal, folks. It's all good. Like, yep. hey, is anyone going to get like laid tonight? What's going to happen? And, you know, we it's all get that. to know these characters yeah. a very, very great way by having like this very interviews type style. Mm-hmm. And then we're just cutting to them in their groups as they're talking about whatever. Right. And drugs, sex, drugs, sex, uh, yeah. dancing, like all of it. And that's how we get to know them. And then that's when shit starts getting crazy. Right. And the way he lets you know that it's getting crazy. How the fuck have we not mentioned this? I cannot believe I haven't brought up his credits yet. That's what I was going to say. Fuck? Why have we not? Jesus He's the best. Christ. I can't. Oh, my God. We didn't all even right. talk about Enter the Void. Yeah, that's enter, like the best part of the movie. <laughs> enter the Void has the best opening credits yeah. in the history of cinema. No question. Climax, and he knows this. He spends yes. a lot of time on credits. Like if you you can literally Google if you haven't seen Enter the Void, Google Enter the Void opening credits right now, and you're gonna have a blast. Or if you've seen Kanye West's All the Lights music video, in which he completely fucking ripped it off and did not credit them, that's what he stole it from. He stole it all from Enter the Void. Anyway, Climax gets some credits in the beginning, and he's like irreversible. He shows you the end credits first, and they like tilt, yep. and you're like, what the that's hell am so I getting weird. into? But then in Climax. At that 45 minute mark, right when their second dance number starts yep. and right when things are starting to kick in and it's starting to turn, then we get the opening credits yep. halfway through the movie yep. and they're and they're very detailed. They don't he doesn't put as much work into it as Enter the Void, but they're so cool. And he's giving like he doesn't even say, for instance, like cinematography by Benoit to be. It's just a it's, picture it's of a just, camera. Yeah, like, yep. like an animated yep. picture of a camera. And then Gaspark as he edits just like an animated picture of like editing equipment. It's so cool. It's so fun. But. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole pod, honestly, on the opening credits or just the way he uses credits, even when he just like cuts to them, like whatever it's going to be, you know, I stand alone will cut to this like death is not life or whatever it is. And and that's like that's what I was I was noticing so many callbacks and climax to I stand alone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like like the yeah, the titles of Mm -hmm. these little title cards of these chapters, if you will, or whatever you want to call it. But um, and I and I believe I mentioned this on our movie going experience one. But be, due to the credits, the way he s- sets this up, when we were when we were watching the movie in the theater, mm-hmm. you finally get to the end of this fucking crazy ass movie. Right. It just cuts ends ends boom, and then the movie theater lights go on, and we're like. I'm supposed to walk out of the theater yeah, right I'm now? just like leaving. That's, yeah, like a lot of old movies, like American movies would do that. And still some European movies still do do that where when it ends and this thing ends and you're like, you want some time, you want those credits yeah, like, to process. be able to process and like, okay, I'll take, maybe I'm not going to get up right away. I'll just sit here for another minute. But no, it's boom. And you like cut to white and it's a strobe. And then, yeah, the house lights come on and you're like, oh, that was... Jesus, I guess I'm going home now. What and, the hell? And that's another part of what Gaspar is trying to do. It's all it's, intentional. It's all intentional. He like, and so when you're like, "Fuck you, Gaspar," <laughs> like, I mean, but that's the relationship that you are now forming with this director who is speaking a certain language that is very, very different than anything that we're used to. Yeah, and I this is another one like Irreversible that I bought the Region B blu-ray of because it had a commentary and a a lot of really good special features and he mentions like yeah that's very intentional for like he mentions in irreversible in the commentary like credits are typically the first thing you see in a movie and very few directors take these seriously that's just like they're almost treating them as like oh people are just getting settled they're walking in and he's like i need to set the tone with my credits like even if you know they're irreversible and they're in reverse and they start to tell you're like uh what's going on and then enter the void you go 
know exactly what I'm getting into here. And yep. yeah, he's setting the tone right away with them, or in the case of Climax, like halfway through where you're literally about to enter a different movie, where we're going, we are descending into complete madness and hell. Yep. Oh my and, God. And uh, I think we got to talk about the 6 a.m. We got to talk about the 6 a.m. You want to do that now? <laughs> we're the Gaspar Noe 6 a.m. You want to? Okay. So we'll do So uh, we have a mutual friend, Dan, and like a few months after COVID hit, it was kind of peak COVID. It was like June 2020. He decides to like come out. He's just going to fly. I can't believe planes were still going. Came out and visited me. Didn't have a job, but like, of course. <laughs> he was unemployed at the time, so he had some time to kill. And he comes out, and the second he touches down, we didn't plan on this, but we just start crushing movies like right away. He wants to show me some ridiculous ones. He showed me this one starring Weird Al Yankovic. I forget what it's called. It's like three letters, UHD, or I don't know, something crazy. I was showing him stuff, and we both love Climax. He loves the movie Climax. I, he likes Enter the Void. He hasn't seen them all. But we wanted to watch it together, and Climax, is, I think it's still on Amazon Prime. So we basically realized that he, his flight is like at 9 a.m. on a Monday, 10 a.m. on a Monday, and I have to work on this Monday. You know, I'm working from home COVID, and I'm like, we could wake up at like 6 a.m. and like watch this, and then I could drive you to the airport, and then I'll start my work day. Because it was either that or like started at midnight and yep. two kind of groggy, and then I have to wake up early anyway for work, and I'm like, what if I just wake up a little bit earlier? We do this, and you know, Dan, is, that was uh, music to his ears, and that's what we did. <laughs> it was a Monday, and we woke up at six and started it. It was one. It was a great movie going experience. Yep. I absolutely loved it. We were so engaged, just like having coffee, took him to the airport, and then what did you do a few days ago? <laughs> so preparing for the podcast, I'm I'm rifling through all of Gaspar Noé's movies in the span of a week, but you know, time's catching up with me, and I got home late on Thursday. And I was like, all right, I got two choices right now. I can either, it's, it's about midnight, right. I can either start this thing right now, or I can wake up at 6 a.m. and put this thing on and start my day with that. So I opted for that. Boom. And man, did I make the right choice. There because you go. there is something about this movie. Mm -hmm. If you start your day with this, <laughs> like, 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 there's no other place for you to go throughout your day. Like, like you, you watch this and you're like, all right, day, yeah. whatever you yeah. got. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> so we challenge you, Mad Movie Buffs, <laughs> to join us in the 6 a.m. Gaspar Noé Climax Club. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and watch oh this God. movie at 6 a.m. and tell us that it's not the best experience of your day. <laughs> yeah, and then we're two complete lunatics. I mean, you yeah, know, we've, we've, never, we've never shied away from this, so that's, that's what that is. <laughs> um, let's get into like, some of the technical aspects of this film. There's dancing, of course, which is just so... Uh, insanely cool to watch for me and then no way is operating his own camera like we said and the first part those first 45 minutes they stabilized all of it in post-production so it's not shaky then when you watch the second half you can see those little micro shakes and it looks like it's like a man having a shoulder having a camera on his shoulder and you can see and they didn't you know stabilize any of that anytime this movie is like tilting some of it is like techno cranes but for a lot of the movie, including there's an extended sequence in the end. It's like 10 minutes long where the camera fucking inverts and just goes upside down for 10 minutes. It's all done in post-production. It's crazy. And for a nerd like me, that is fucking nuts. I didn't realize that until I listened to this commentary. And he's like, oh, yeah, we flipped that in post-production. And that, again, for editing, huge, huge no-no. You want to do that like in camera or you would cut to a shot where it's upside down. But they just do it yeah, in they do camera it. and you see it revolving and you're like, whoa, this is, and he's the dude who's going to do that during the the most hellish moment 
It's like bathed in this blood red color. That's when he's going to turn it upside down because he's like, now we're just watching animals like in their and primal default setting because they're so out of their minds. And correct me if I'm wrong, but doing that in post is not very much different than just taking your mouse and rotating an image on your like screen. Well, like- it's, it's, it's a little more challenging than that because you got to think like if you do that, if I'm taking like a 1920 by 1080 frame. And then I'm turning it. I'm going to cut off a lot You're of gonna my frames. You're going to cut off a lot, so, yeah. Which means they shot the film like way, way farther back. Like yeah. much, much wider. To make so then, room for that. So then he could have scale in post to like post in and not lose any of his resolution. And this is like, like I shoot a lot of my stuff in 4K, but I usually only have to, I exclusively have to deliver it in 1080. So I have like 50% scale to play with. So I'm, if I'm shooting at something in 4K and I don't really like how I framed it, I can push it in and like adjust yeah. and no one's the wiser and the scale isn't messed up. That's essentially what he's doing on a much, much, much bigger level and cooler level. But it's not something that's done a lot on mainstream movies because it seems kind of like uh, maybe even a little juvenile. And I'm like, hey, he just does it and he knows how to do it so well. And it's it's just, oh, my God, it's another one. Like, how the fuck did you do this? man? Yeah, it's, it's I, just I can't believe wild. you pulled this off. Oh, my God. It, and this is uh, I mean, we talk about colors for Gaspar oh. Noé movies. I mean, this is one of his most colorful mostly because of the the wardrobe yeah yeah. like everyone what they're wearing is very very specific it's one of those movies where you don't catch everyone's name but you do get to know these characters in a very short period of time pretty well yeah but like when you're done when when you're conversing about the movie afterwards you know when you say it's like oh like the the main girl in the yellow Mm -hmm. or like the girl in the white you know, or, you know, I mean, like you're referring to these people, but I think that's also by design because you also realize that this is such an ensemble thing, right? That you're gonna refer to these people in these ways. So we might as well make them as specific as mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he'll like go into the bathroom and it's all like that crazy green. Then he'll go into the room where she's like tripping and talking to the girl and it's like blue and yellow, all these crazy lights. And then, yeah, what I really like about this movie is it's a complete diversion from into the void when he's already proven to us he knows how to show us what it's like on drugs but for this one it's different than we don't get any insight to what they're seeing yeah what any of the they're so tripped out and we just observe them it's almost like a documentary in that way that we're just observing these people like go back to their primal animalistic settings and then how do you respond some people become very violent you got daddy out there who's just dancing. He's just having a good time. He's trying to keep it above board. He's just dancing. And that's how he's getting through it. And like yep. some people are still dancing at the very end. They're just up dancing. Some people are fucking dead. Yeah. And, and, I mean, it's like that's how people, that's what spins the night so far out of control. And that's like, that's the interest in the exercises. Not everyone responds the same. And <laughs> what does that say about them? And we've also failed to mention that this movie is based on a true story. Yes, it is. It took place in. The, it takes place in the '90s, and yeah, it, some a version of this did happen in the yep. '90s. Yeah. Yep. Now, did people die in the real one? For some reason, I think to remember that. Yes. Oh, and not fuck. like all of them, but some. I I think, but I would need to be fact checked on that. But still, like it did happen. I feel like it, someone would have had to in order to entice him, as weird as that sounds, yeah. you know, for, in order to pull it like, oh, wow, someone died. Someone died from that, <laughs> like, huh? Oh, God. All right, we'll throw that in the movie. <laughs> so that's 2018 Climax, Love Climax. 2019. Well, it yeah, I mean, it's hard. It came out. Oh, like, it's, it's one of the It's a European date thing. Uh, yeah. like, Vortex has already been out. So is that a 2022, 2021? But very quickly after, he makes this short film, a long short, 50 minutes, called Lux Eterna. In this one, I actually have seen this movie, but they're doing it, I think, because Vortex is coming out. They're going to do a theatrical run like really soon, like this month in May. And go see it. I mean, if you're interested in seeing Vortex, I don't know anything about it. Haven't watched a trailer. I do understand, though, 
that the entirety of Vortex is a split screen. And I think the whole thing is going to be, you know, one half of it stars Dario Argento, the famous director, like Suspiria, the original Suspiria. And I think the whole thing is going to be split screen. And we're going to have to, you know, we're just seeing two different perspectives. Most of Lux Eterna is. And to me, it feels like he's testing to see if this will work. Yeah, yeah. And he's doing it. St- stars Charlotte Gainsbourg, Carl Glossman's in it. And it's about like the behind the scenes production of a film or and like it involves witches. It's very, very weird. His shorts are more for I and I've heard him say this. I've heard him say variations of this. And I think he would agree with me. They're more experimental and yeah. more for him like testing out will split screen work for two hours and 20 minutes as opposed to just 50. And I guess making this, he's like, yeah, I think it will. Or if it doesn't, you know, still going to fucking try it. So yeah, let's go. Yeah. It's a very colorful movie. So when it comes out, I don't know if you're in a gas bar mood and want to go see it. I'll be interested to see if they charge like full price because it's not, you know, it's not a feature. But yeah, that's, you know, how oh man, all by way of saying like, it's not often we get a new Gaspar movie. So I'm so excited to see Vortex. It's apparently already out in New York, but we are going to do a mini-sode on it where we've agreed yep. to see it. Yep. Like, even if we're apart, we've agreed to see it opening weekend and then we will touch base again. We went back and forth. Like, do we wait until post-Vortex to record this? But we're together in person, which is rare. And I thought this is a director that would benefit more from being in person. So there we are. Um, a few, just a few fun facts that I already mentioned. Again, Benoit Deby, one of the great all-time cinematographers, has shot every one of his movies since Irreversible. is a great collaboration. He actually plays the, uh, the man in charge of the ayahuasca in Love. Yes. He's like the shaman in Love. Yep. The, yeah, yep. so that's him, which I, that's just great. As mentioned, Debbie sets up the lights and you know, what like lenses, what camera, and then No Way operates, which is very cool. No Way has edited every movie, apparently, except Vortex, which is interesting. And then the highest budget No Way has ever received for a movie. I thought this was important. $12.4 million for Enter the Void. That's, that's a lot of money to us, but that's not a lot of money in the world of like commercial filmmaking. Yeah. Not that he's a commercial director, but just want to put a little context. This isn't a guy who's given like, $50 million to go make like the craziest revenge rate movie ever. Like he had next to no money to make that. And that's, you know, just goes to speak with his work as a director and what he's capable of. I mean, there's not really much left to say. I mean, I think just kind of summing up, it's like he is not a director for everyone. Um, but if you are willing to challenge yourself and go on a fucked up ride, you can trust that this fucked up ride is going to pay off for you and have rewards at the end of the tunnel. It'll have a point. It will have a point. It will absolutely make you think. And it has a point. And the point is not all life's fucked and we're we're bound for despair. That's not the point of Irreversible. It's not like that. That isn't it. The point of his movies is not doom and gloom. They have doom and gloom in them. But largely it's about like, you need to live your life. Like you need to not, you need to be good to the people around you. Like I, that's what I get from it. Uh, you know, it's in a, it's through a very, very intense, gritty, grimy lens, but all of his movies have a point. Yep. There's nothing that's made just to shock. And, 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 you know, and we're, and we're hoping that by, by presenting this podcast in this way is that we're encouraging people to try to maybe branch out and see something new with mm-hmm. an open mind and also to kind of just see that, you know, there's other things out there. Like mm-hmm. we, we're living in an American society right now when it comes to movies that we are not being challenged very much they're very safe very safe very safe and um and you know we don't want to lose 
some of the the great art that is being made right now and gaspar is one of our current you know directors that are alive that are challenging us through the use of really really well done art and that's what we are uh kind of like really championing today yeah and he doesn't make one movie a year as like this great challenge he's done five since 1998 i i don't think he thinks we could take a movie a year from Gaspar. Like, I would only have one. No, no, I don't. I love that there's only five. Well, soon to be six features with Vortex. And yeah, I love that because, again, these aren't easy movies for him to make. And he puts so much thought into how they're made and what's going to be going on in them. Now we arrive at a really fun section because we're going to rank our top five Gaspar here. He's only done five features so far, so we're just going to do it. Five, four, three, two, one. That's how we're going to go. You want it? Let's, we'll do that. You're like, I'll do five. You do five. So let's go. You want me to go first? You go first. I'm always going to go first. Okay. Yeah. Always. Every time. Every time. Number one. No, number five. All right. It's coming here. <laughs> Enter the void. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to qualify this by saying like my four through one are all like uh, really top tier movies for me. Yeah. Like I absolutely love them. I love them all. I, you know, Great A's, whatever you want to say. So we're kind of, we're really grasping at straws here. My number five is I Stand Alone, but I get why Enter the Void is your five. Yeah, totally get it. But, you know, I'm starting with his first, I Stand Alone. And that's a movie that I greatly appreciate. And that is my number four. Okay, is I Stand fair. Alone. Well, my number four is Enter the Void. So we just Boom. kind of flip those a little bit. Boom. Oh, this is going to be interesting. So we're going to reverse an yeah. irreversible move. Nice, how you tried. Okay, number three. <laughs> I am actually making a judgment call right now. I'm rever- I'm going to reverse actually. So I'm going to go with my number three is irreversible. Okay, mine's climax. Ah, and again, love climax. I think is most accessible, but yeah, that's what I'm going with. Okay, yep. number two for you. Number two is love. Same here. Yeah, so that's interesting. Okay, yep. so I'm a you know a sadistic maniac. So my number one Gaspar Noé movie is irreversible. I just can't. It's the most Gaspar movie, and it I, I don't know. I do think there's a lot of value in it. It's just tough, tough, tough to dig through. No, and I completely agree. Yeah. And, and, and my number one is Climax, yeah. um, just because I, I think that movie's a lot of fun. It is. It, it's, <laughs> again, speaking to his playful side, he has a playful energy to him that he's not afraid to, like, subtly just inject right here yep. and i really like that and 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 the reason that i actually made my choice the way because i had irreversible at number two uh-huh. um was just because as we were talking about love it was like i i was just connecting to like what i really really enjoyed about that movie and i just think for me i just i, I gotta put that but that's not taking away from because like irreversible would have been my number two right. for the reasons that it's your number one right right Oh, that was that was a lot of fun. I've wanted to do this since the beginning, and we've teased it a few times on a few pods, and I'm I'm just really glad we did. But you want me to go first? What are you watching? No, okay, I'm gonna go, go first. first. Oh, great! Here we go. Give <laughs> me some bullshit. Is it gonna be Bambi or something? <laughs> oh my god! Now that's the most fucked up movie I've ever I, seen. Seriously, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I'm actually gonna go with a movie that I saw recently in theaters. Uh, that I had not had such a wonderful movie-going experience since 2019. But I saw everything, everywhere, all at once, directed by the Daniels, and I thought it was just one of... It was an existential journey that I was on board from the second that it started to the second it ended, and I loved every second of it. There are a lot of people right now having that same journey as you, and it's so nice to see like an indie A24 movie this much in the conversation, because the people like, I saw it, you liked it more than me. That's Mm -hmm. okay, because you like, you developed this thing with it where you like were having this life-altering experience, and 
it's so cool to read reviews or some people are seeing this and they're like, is this the best movie I've ever seen? And I, yep. I think that speaks to where we are at the time and how like crazy the last few years have been. And yeah, I thought it was so big and ambitious and I really appreciated that about it. But God, what like it's I don't know. It's just so cool when an indie movie dominates movie culture, even if it's just for like a couple weeks. And Absolutely. we're not talking about, you know, superhero movies because we're doing that all the time. So just to switch to this indie thing, I'm like, cool, great. It was in there. Exactly. And yeah. it's A24. And it's just one of those things where it's like, like, just check out this movie. Check out movies like it. Check out yeah. anything from A24. Listen to our A24 podcast. Yes. I think that was the first time we teased a Gaspar movie because we talked about Climax. I believe it I was. Or a Gaspar pod, rather, because we talked about Climax. All right, mine. This is a lot of fun. Mine's called Evolution from 2015. It is directed by Lucille Haja Alivovich. I'm sorry if that's a little wrong. This is Gaspar Noé's lifelong partner who has been involved in every one of his movies in some way or another. She's credited as a producer on some, as a writer on some. I'm interested in like, what movie does the woman who's with Gaspar Noé, like what the hell does she make? So I put this on. She's made a few movies and this is, it's an hour and 20 minutes. It was available for free on a few apps. And basically it's a small island and the only people who inhabit it are boys and women why why is that that's all i'll say and it's like 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 teenagers no men no 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 young boys like like kids like kids boys yeah like but, under but, 10 uh like 12 and under 12 and under but like adult women adult women interesting yes so why is that and you spend 80 minutes in a very uh like photographically precise movie not a lot of moving camera very like you know long beautiful shots not a big cast so it, it was just so cool to see like a woman who's in the no way world a lot. Like, what is she going to make? So I would really encourage people to watch it. It's called Evolution from 2015, not the David Duchovny movie, which I know. I was going to, that was where I, I was know, going. I know you were. I did love David Jesus. Duchovny. I know you do. I know you do. So as we end here, we'll touch on why, why, why yet again. We're not telling everyone that Gaspar in a way is for everyone because he's not. But like you said, if you want to venture into something a little more challenging, however so briefly, this is a director to do it. One who's very extreme but with a lot of intent. I'm very glad we did this. I'm very glad it's done. I am uh, cautiously recommending that people tweet to us to tell us what you think if you uh, watch a Gaspar Noé movie <laughs> because of this pod. Uh, you know, don't be mad at us. Just try it. Try out something new, you know? Oh watch a God. fucked up movie. See watch what it does for you. Movie. Yeah, you don't have to do it all the time, but some of the time it can be kind of different and fun. But as always, thanks everyone for listening and happy watching. Wow. Oh, man. Oof. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wayw underscore podcast. Next time, as promised, we're going to complete Gaspar's filmography with reviews on his new short film, Lux Eterna, and his sixth feature film, Vortex. Stay tuned. <laughs>